stop bullying and shouting at the lower orders? Never! There's only one way to win a campaign. Shout, shout and shout again! This is Shot and Shield. Listening in Christchurch, England. Babang in the Philippines and Kenosha, Wisconsin. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a program meant to be heard while you're painting your miniatures and building your terrain. I am your host, the Grand Duke Scott of the Duchy of Florida, and in this episode, be joined by Claude Bailey as we answer some emails. We got a ton of emails. Let me tell you, this got a ton of emails. I had to bring in reinforcements to answer them today, so... <laughs> So that's uh, that's what I'm going to do. And also, a little bit later, I have a repeat presentation of Under Two Flags from Lux Theater from 1937. I had a lot of requests for this, and I also have a, a little surprise for you when I uh, reintroduce Under Two Flags. And that's coming up later in the program. But first, I do have a few announcements for you. Hang on a minute, lads. Hear ye, hear ye! Hear ye, hear ye, it's time to update your event calendar. First off, in London, there is the Victorian Military Society Seminar on the Anglo-Sikh Wars at the National Army Museum on Saturday, April 29th from 11 to 4, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The very distinguished panel of speakers includes friends of the podcast, Garinder Singh Mann, and Dr. Chris Price, and they'll be joining Neil Carlton and Armapal Singh Sidhu to talk about the Anglo-Sikhs War. Uh, tickets are 15 pounds for VMS members and 17 pounds 50 for non-members. More information on the web at victorianmilitary.org. That's victorianmilitary.org. A couple of conventions of note coming up in uh, Kissimmee, Recon Wargaming Convention, April 27th, 28th, 29th, and 30th at the Wyndham Resort. More information uh, for this uh, convention at hmgs-south.com. And in Nashville, Tennessee, NashCon Miniature Wargaming Convention, August 18th, 19th, and 20th at Sheraton Music City. More info at nashcon.org. Those are some announcements for you. If you have uh, announcements you'd uh, like me to make, uh, some a convention you're going to or a convention you're going to have or something that is uh, pertinent to, that you think you'd be pertinent to our listening uh, assemblage here, just go ahead and shoot me an email, shotandshield at gmail.com, shotandshield at gmail.com. But now, I, like I said, I needed reinforcements. It's time to answer some emails. Germany calling, London calling, Moscow calling, Washington DC calling, Peking calling, Sydney calling. Message for you, sir. It's time to answer some emails from all around the world. So if you want to send me an email, it's a shot and shield at gmail.com. Shot and shield at gmail.com. Or you can hit uh, hit me on the Twitter at shot and shield or on Facebook group, which, uh, you know, you, you should you should already be there. You sure already know it. More info coming. Today, I have asked Claude Bailey, Wargaming's very own bon vivant and best-dressed man in our hobby to join me to answer some emails today because I needed help. I needed help. I got so many. I got a slew of emails. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I don't know what happened, but a slew of emails, and I needed to bring in some reinforcements, and Claude Bailey is the man to help me with that. Uh, before we get going, Claude, you sent me a message just a second ago, and it was a picture. It was like a little meme thing. Can you 
Can you read this? So it's this guy sitting, looking at his miniatures at a table, and he says, These sunny days during spring provide us with unlimited possibilities of outside adventure. And what better way to appreciate those possibilities than by squandering it, painting miniatures in a dark basement all day. <laughs> <laughs> and can I tell you that's so true? Because anytime it's really beautiful out, I like to spend time inside painting. Oh, that is my... Man. I swear to God, that is one of my favorite things. It's so bright. The the lights coming through the window. And I love sitting there paying for that. Like I almost killed I almost killed the whole podcast today. Our recording. I was gonna say, you know, <laughs> uh, Claude, I gotta <coughs> cough <coughs> and then just go and paint all day. <laughs> in, so, in summertime, in summertime, I can see that here anyway. Well, Claude, I appreciate you jumping on to help me with uh, all these emails. I don't know why Absolutely. we got the emails. So once again, it's uh, shotandshield at gmail.com, shotandshield at gmail.com. And so today's uh, podcast, we're just I'm just going to be busting out the, just, just these emails because I got a slew of them. Got a slew. Just a, they, like they didn't stop. Every time I'd, I'd look at one, another one would pop up and another one would pop up. And I, I thought I had like a like a virus. But that was not the case. So, well, and I think it's interesting as we were talking about before you started recording. Um, you you saw a huge increase in the amount of emails you got all of a sudden, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I I'm still kind of perplexed. Like maybe yeah. maybe there's like a saturation point, just to, you know, kind of behind the scenes, kind of inside baseball type mentality. You know, uh, in any of the podcasts, maybe that if you have it on for such a long time. Like now, this is going to be year number two. Yep. And then finally, a saturation is like, oh, it's there. Oh, let me send an email or let me listen more or whatever else like that. So it's kind of nice. It's nice. It's nice to be loved. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here we go. Uh, So first one, this is uh, from Garrett in Pennsylvania. And he asks, uh, says, how did your first game mastering event go? I heard you hadn't mastered an event for a, a long time. How did it feel? How did you do? Did anything surprise you? So that's the first question. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. So this is a uh, so skirmish game con was uh, uh, at the beginning of March, and I hosted a game. I brought in my. It was my Russians versus Persians eighteen twenty. During the oh, fifth, that early, yeah. During the fifth uh, Russo-Persian War, and this is where, where the Persians went into Azerbaijan and um, Armenia and southern Georgia to solidify their 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 stuff, their area, to prevent the Russians from coming in. And the Russians said, "We're coming in anyway," and 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 historically wiped them out. So this time. Uh, and the game that was played on uh, at the beginning of March there, uh, the Russians did not do very well. The Persians really kind of slaughtered them. So um, what were the comp just real quick, if you don't yeah. mind, what were the I'm you based it on actual historical, like as far as the numbers on both sides? Well, what I did was I I took an actual battle. Right. And then or, uh, an overall battle. And that then, was the Saffron one, right? Right, the Saffron yep. Fields. So Battle of Saffron's Fields. And I, I made this Battle of Saffron Fields was a skirmish based on a larger battle. 
and I can't pronounce the name. It's an Azerbaijani. So it's like the battle of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I, I mean, I just can't. I'm not going to try to do it justice yeah. and just right. abuse it. So, um, but, um, and so the the Battle of Saffron Fields is just a fictitious Got it. battle. It's a fictitious skirmish, but based in that historical event. Um, but so the numbers on both sides were, were even. roughly, okay. Yeah, they were totally even. Interesting. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, both had both had cavalry, both had artillery, both had infantry. So the the rule set was blood and steel from Firelock Games, and I I did an adaption for the troops, but not for the game. So I took the, I I, I okay. played the game exactly to the letter of the game, but I just adapted the troops to fit the idea and the 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 essence of the game as if it were if it were the union versus uh, confederates or the seminal oh, okay. war or, or mexican american war or the other ones that they have listed there so i did the research to do that now let's see uh how the mastering goes for the first i gotta tell you the mastering i was really nervous i really was because i were driving up uh uh mrs uh duke and i Right. So we're driving up to Jacksonville and she's like, how are you doing? I said, I'm nervous, killing myself here because in my head, I'm like, OK, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? <sighs> and just with the game, <clears throat> get up there, get set up, get the game going. And I'm freezing like I'm freezing, like mentally. I'm like, OK, what now? What Stay am I doing fine. now? What am I doing now? And uh, luckily, Edgar, uh, one of the authors of uh, a Blood and Steel, he him and I kind of role played the game master in ahead of time. Oh, cool. That helps. Yeah. So it gave me a chance to kind of get my footing a little bit. Right. And, okay. Now I, I, now, now I'm in now I'm now the game's on game's on. I felt good. And after that, we're, we're good. And I felt good. And so that was, that was nice. Um, so it felt good doing it. I felt uh, much more prepared than I did when I, uh, 30 years ago, hmm. my last time. And I will tell you, this is what surprised me. You ready for this? This is what surprised me. I was surprised at how many people will come over to the table to see what's going on, but one to comment about whatever T-shirt I was wearing. <laughs> I, I have a sl- they, they weren't looking at your figures and your terrain? No, they, no, they were looking at the figures. They, they looked down and go, wow, this is different. Because it was. Because it was yeah, different. Yeah, no, it was beautiful. Thank you very much. But it was different because yeah. when you go into a convention and you're seeing what? And historical miniatures, you're seeing Civil War, World War II, Civil War, World American War, II, War of Independence. Yep. American War of Independence. So you have you have these staples, Napoleonics. Yep. All right. Maybe uh maybe yep. uh you know uh uh ancients, right? Maybe some modern like tank battle right. or whatever. Yeah. So you see, so there's some staples that you're going to get at a convention. Then right. all of a sudden, here's this one. It's like, oh yes, yeah, Russia, Russians versus Persians, 1820, and they go, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> Did you, you see know, any? And, uh, were, were there any Indian Mutiny themed games at that no, convention? No, no, no. It was real, literally, and not not taken away from, and not insult. It's just it, it, people had, yeah, Civil War, uh, World War. Uh, World War II, and uh, so it was just it was just those. It, there was, I mean, there were other games going on, but historically, um, it was those two were predominant. Right. 
And but so people would say, wow, that's different. Wow, that's different. And, you know, and there was comments on the terrain and the, and the figures and which I appreciated. But I had either a Boston Red Sox shirt on or an Iowa Hawkeyes shirt on. And so it was like, so oh, how about those Iowa Hawkeyes? Oh, those Red Sox. You think you're going to do it this year? I'm I, my takeaway uh, is never wear a sports team shirt to these conventions because you're going to invariably you're going to end up spending a lot more time talking about, you know, in my case, <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes that I am about gaming. Well, it's it's basically one game or the other. Make your make up your mind. Right. So, but uh that's what I got. I just found it amusing driving back and you know, Sherry asked me the same thing. So, so how do you feel? So I feel good. And she said, and what do you get out of it? I said, never wear a t-shirt <laughs> or a, a, a low, you know, something anything logo that has anything other than wargaming on it. Mm. So anyway, so next time. I got it covered. I got it covered. <laughs> now, it, when was the last convention you were at? I've never been to a convention. What? I didn't start wargaming until the beginning of the pandemic. All right. So, look, you got it. Okay. Claude, you got some great stuff. Your, your well, setup you. is fantastic. And it's all in boxes right now. But thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. You got to take the boxes, put them back in your car, and head for the nearest convention. All right. There aren't there aren't a lot here. There's a been a, there's a group up in Phoenix that does one every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, and there's there's a kind of what is that really popular one? Uh, not Thunderdome, but it's some Warhammer. W- Warhammer. There's a lot of that here in Tucson, but other mm-hmm. than that, really doesn't interest me. But um, right. other than that, yeah, I don't there's a lot of that here in Florida too. Yeah, I think it's a it's pretty big all over the yeah, world. Absolutely. I mean, who's the who's the one guy who the guy who played Superman? Uh, Carville, Cavill. Oh, oh yeah, I was thinking uh, Christopher Reeves, but no. that, that tells my generation, doesn't it? No, I'm with you on that. But uh, yeah. the only reason I remember this is because uh, the guy who played Superman, I think, in the last Superman movies, uh, he's a huge Warhammer fan. Oh, really? So he, yeah. So I guess he go, I saw I saw a, a news thing where he goes to all of these conventions. Oh, cool. You know and. And the paparazzi like TMZ has to stand outside, which I think is hysterical, you know. Well, let's face it. There's not usually a lot of famous people at wargaming conventions. That's that's true. Um, he, Here's a random question. Uh, uh-huh. Total tang- tangential thought. Who were the Persians making their own artillery at that point? No. In 18. I didn't think so. Who was making no. it? Um, it was uh, the French or the British. OK, because you got to. <clears throat> All right. So here we go. All right. This is this is, this is here we go. Now you ask the question. You open the door. Yeah, well, no, gonna go I'm there. You open the door. So here, so here's what I got. the The Persians they were buying not just the equipment, but also the the training and the experience. You like have it, right at right right after the Napoleonic Wars, you had all of these generals and colonels and majors that needed a job because they're now and corporals and sergeant majors there you go absolutely yeah and so uh the persians were one of these because they wanted to be a regional power they would bring in all of these you know these trainers from uh, from uh napoleonic from the from napoleon side from the british side from from the german side from the prussians Interesting. And they would bring them in and they would train their troops and so their I'm generals. I'm wondering, 
this and is then no they shit. would buy all they would buy um you know old muskets and you know everything else that any type of artillery that they could get their hands on primarily from european powers or yes okay yeah because you know again as, as you very well know the sikhs were doing the same thing mm-hmm. in the same time period um 1820s 18 you know right well again post napoleonic war post post waterloo right so then, interesting yeah so so asked. the russians when the russians would face them they were actually facing a european trained um uh so, units right so was it a similar thing in in terms of i know like for example the sikh armies around that period and later they were they had certain units that were european trained and european armed but not the not their entire army was never right completely drilled to in a european style was it similar thing with the persian army because i mean i know when the british invaded well led the punitive expedition in the in the anglo-persian war in 1857 well 1856 1857 right. they faced they faced some drilled persian troops and this is later but they also faced you know the typical hordes of tribal irregular irregular mm-hmm. cavalry and whatnot so was that similar case in the with the persian army with the persian army and this is this is from from the research i found and I, somebody can correct me if you'd like and send me an email or you could do it on the facebook um the persians all of their their military their strict military were all um trained european style Okay. All of them. There wasn't so their regular any, army. Their regular army to the Got point it. where they even had Cossacks. Ah. They had. Uh, they were they the Cossacks them, Muslims or were they mercenaries or? Uh, they were mercenaries. They were mercenaries, but they were also homegrown. So they're homegrown Cossacks. They're called the Qajar Cossacks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So. Interesting. But they could also the the Shah or whoever was in charge. I'm going to say it like that because I'm not sure the actual titles of the the head guys. The king um, of kings. The um, they could also call on various tribal leadership right. to supplement their their forces. Now, the Persian forces, from what I from my from my uh, study, is the Persian forces. If it were if it were west, no, excuse me. If it were east of Tehran, then everything is going to be. The majority of it is going to be European troops. When you go east of Tehran, towards, if I'm saying that east of Tehran, going towards Herat and uh, Afghanistan, it's going to be less um, of their your Persian. Uh, your Persian European trained forces and more oh, tribal. When, when you say European, you mean European trained. Yeah, European trained. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So that's the uh so that's that's from what I from what I've read that's why. So so it would make sense for the British when they did their punitive incursion. Uh they were going from from the Afghanistan uh, Afghanistan side. No, they actually they actually was a seaborne invasion. Really? They landed at Bushire. They landed at Bushire. They didn't go overland. They didn't. No. The Indian Army, the Indian Army landed at Bushire and then they went inland. They didn't there was no overland. Later, well and earlier, there was always well, not always. There was a lot of British involvement in Herat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because of 
obviously the, the, the East India Company and then later the British Empire's involvement in Afghanistan and, um, you know, safeguarding the frontier from specifically the Russians. But the fear was that they, the Russians, one of the routes that they, they thought that the Russians could take was through Herat. Mm -hmm. So there's a wonderful story of a, quite a character, uh, Eldred Pottinger. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, yeah, I have. I, I've, I recognize the name. Well, it was quite a family, but one of the Pottingers, and I'm not sure if it was Elder, but it was a young Pottinger, was involved in Herat and was, again, leading the Heratis against, defending the Herat, Herat with the Heratis against the Persians at one point. And some really, really good, wonderful stories that come out of that whole situation. But yeah, but yeah, no, the, the Indian army invaded, um, East India Company army at that point invaded uh, Persia from the sea. See, I thought they, I thought they had, and uh, like I said, I'm, I, I defer to your knowledge on this, and I'm asking the question: uh, wasn't there? Then I, I thought there was like another prong coming from the west, no, or coming from the east. I mean, no. So it's just from the, not, not that I'm aware of, and I, I mean, I again, my knowledge of the Anglo. Persian War, that one anyway, were is pretty limited to I would say three different sources, and the main one being the War for a Persian Lady, which is a book that I would highly recommend. I think I've recommended it to you before. Yeah, I think you have. Called the War for a Persian Lady. I'm sorry, I don't have the author's name right in front of me, but I can look it up. But anyway, sorry to go off on a tangent. No, 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 no. I'm glad you did because the um, in in the uh, in the British incursion though they faced more. The idea is that they face more of the tribal type units than they did the actual European trained. Well, that's one of the reasons I asked why, where the Persians got their um, artillery from. I, I was assuming they weren't making their own, but also, again, the, the parallel or the similarities with the way the Sikhs were developing their army at that point. Now, the Sikh army went on to become quite, quite something, and I, it looks like the Persian army didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, that's that's the other thing, too, is if you think about the Sikhs, the Sikhs also had their own way of battling. Right. Absolutely. Right. And yes. then they, they they would just take uh, and and again, Gurinder, Singh man. Yes. They the number one guy the about anything that has to do with Sikhs. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, and if I remember right, is that they would take some of what they felt was the best qualities from uh, your, the, the European powers mm -hmm. to meld into their own form of battle, whereas the Persians would just say, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be done. So this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, and there was blindly. not Right, and so there wasn't like a homegrown. And they were doing that for years too. Matter of fact, when they were part of the, uh, let's see, there was the uh, gunpowder, it was the gunpowder dynasties or the gunpowder nations. It was Turkey, Persia, and there was another one in there. Um. This is in the 1700s, uh, 1800s. The Persians, again, still, all their musketeers were all trained by uh, by the, the French, even yeah. then. So, anyway. so now that we've totally blown poor Garrett's question here. Garrett. So, the and, war for a Persian. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, Garrett says the email wanted to know about the first uh, game mastering. So, yeah, no, everything was good. The only thing that surprised me was the the T-shirt thing. So there you go. <laughs> Let's move on here. Uh, this next one here is from Hazleton. This is great. I love this. 
Haz- uh, from Hazelton, the Master of Ballantry. Remember, mo- remember a movie of uh, Master of Ballantry from uh, it was Errol Flynn? Love Absolutely. That movie. Uh, says, uh, let's see, uh, Hazelton writes, Duke Scott, greetings and salutations from the uh, from deep in the heart of Texas. I listened to your episode with Bob Merch, and I am surprised that you have not talked more about pulp wargaming since. Uh, just before I continue on, uh, Bob from Pulp Figures, uh, at pulpfigures.com, great artist. He is excellent. Great figures. Yeah, those figures are fantastic. I had him on in November of 21. He was the wow. f- my my first after I did the revamp of the show, he was my first guest and he's outstanding. So I haven't talked to him since, except through, you know, uh, Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. And he's fantastic. Uh, anyway, he says, uh, did you fall out of love with Wargaming, son? What? Mas- you know, he's, he's having fun with me. As master of balladry, I order you to cover more pulp action. There are some great pulp rules out there like pulp. Pulp Alley and Bob's Rugged Adventures. So consider this a directive and not a request. Love the show, Hazelton. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, that's a great uh, that's a great comment. Yeah, it is because so even though like the podcast is a 19th century base, I try to do everything 19th century base. I don't like to leave that kind of deal, but in 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 the pulp world, there's plenty of 19th century action to be. Oh had, yeah, you know. A- Absolutely. There's a um, a really good Facebook page called uh, the Society of Hysterical War, War Gamers. Mm-hmm. And that's a big focus of that group um, is 19th century, a lot of pulp. Uh, it's anyway, it's 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 worth checking out. I don't know if you remember, but it, it's worth looking at. No, I, I think because most people. I think most people, when they think of pulp action, they're thinking of. Lovecraft type stuff or 1930s yeah 1920s 30s absolutely you know in that area yeah i mean i don't necessarily mean 1930s like it's all gang it's all gangland type stuff um i'm talking like you know the china that whole idea of china station you know it's b gibson and you know you're going to you're gonna go find some idol in the middle of well indiana jones yeah indiana jones type stuff thank you boom that's it right there which is cool that's I love. I mean, who doesn't love Indiana Jones? Right. I personally think you're crazy if you don't. But anyway, I, you know what? You and me both. If you don't like Indiana Jones. That's your problem. That's right. But uh, but as far as pulp goes, so uh, pulp action, you could do pulp action for pretty much anything. Absolutely. If you think about it. So, you know, I might have to. I might have to consider doing. I can't, you know, I have so much going on now. I swear, I swear, just with the with what I'm working on my current project right now, I wonder if I could do some type of pulp. That's, I could probably do some sort of pulp like spy type stuff. Oh yeah. You know, a great game. Oh, of course. Oh, big right? time. Yeah. All right. That that's the curse of the curse of the war gamer and of the miniature collector and is the Oh, I know my, I, I need, I, I mean, to have 15 different projects going on and 15 different irons in the fire. Um, I'd love to do, I really want to do the Seek Wars in 54 millimeter, right. but it's like, that's anyway, that's a whole different. <laughs> but could you do the Seek Wars in pulp? So you basically have like six or seven guys. Oh yeah. You know, 
figures aside and absolutely. So yeah, you know, ah, spies and and you know, Matahari types and uh, ah, yeah, absolutely. Come on, Hazelton, <laughs> Master Ballantry in Texas. Ah, uh, you just thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, thanks for adding to my list there. Oh my god! All right, so <laughs> let's continue. Uh, this next one, uh, this email is from uh, Kit Carson in Wyoming. Love it. Uh, Scott, I am happy to have a show like yours that covers some really out-of-the-way subjects in wargaming. I found your information about the Cossacks really eye-opening. I would like to take you to task in a fun way, but the wild, wild west is also in the 19th century. I've never heard you cover Boot Hill or anything like it. As you can tell, being from Wyoming, I have a vested interest. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Kit. Boy. I, ha- I have not done that's one, you know what there's a few there's some stuff because doing the podcast once a month and then every once in a while doing a you know bonus or supplement or something like that you know when I have time to get it in there it was hard to cover everything, everything. that the 19th century has to offer oh yeah it's impossible and eventually eventually I will you know I'll be like in 2035 or you could do more podcasts more freak more frequently i i love doing the podcast but i the time it's just so time consuming i'm sure yeah like after you we we appreciate what you do believe and i thank you but after you and i are done today right i will be editing just for time and spaces and stuff like that just a little not editing content but just editing in general and it would take double the time that we have to talk. Right. It's like, uh, and then, you know, worth work and everything. So, but I will tell you, so let's talk wild West for a second. Yeah. Let's cause I live in Arizona and I, you know, I, yeah, yeah I could tell you, I'm, I'm 45 minutes from tombstone. So we did last this, wait, when was it? Was it October? In October of last year, my buddies from California who are in my uh, long range desert group, uh, California historical group group. <laughs> um, they joined me and we got some guys from Arizona. So about seven of us went down to tombstone dressed up, uh, in our Boer war British army kit. It was the second time we've done it. We call it the relief of tombstone rather than the relief of Ladysmith or Kimberly. And, right. uh, Oh, what, what a great turnout. They have a thing in tombstone every fall called Hell Dorado days. So you've got cowboys, you've got uh, Pancho Villa's guys down there. You've got um, lots of Victorian reenactors. You've got a parade. You've got a, it's, it's a blast. That the sounds fun. That sounds it's a lot a blast. of fun. It's a total blast. So we had, so this is, this past year was the second year in a row we've done the British army in Tombstone. And obviously we get a lot of looks because you don't see a lot of pith helmets in Tombstone, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a great event and we're going to try to do it again this year. But yeah, we, we had almost 10 guys this past year. So anyway, Have have you ever gamed Wild West? No, no. I honestly, growing up partially in Arizona and partially back in New York, um, for whatever reason, I, I, it's never really interested me. Right. There's a movie studio here that's just reopened, actually, that they were using from the late 30s up until uh, right before the pandemic. Actually, John Wayne filmed a lot of movies here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called Old Tucson. Right. It's a, it's a perfectly beautiful village uh little 
old west town about 45 minutes from here also um and it's so i grew up going there as a kid my grandparents used to take me there so i i don't know i kind of they filmed rio bravo there oh what a great yeah, movie dude oh my god hello that that alone but anyway yeah, yeah. talk about a tangent but but anyway long story short so i i kind of got my fill of the wild west thing i don't know it's hmm. uh it's interesting to me i mean i uh and we just talked about pulp you know pulp action you know i guess wild west would fall i'm not sure i'm not familiar with the boot hill i'm familiar with the 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 title and that it's a it's a rule set for uh for uh wild west mm-hmm. but uh, i'm not sure what the extent is but to do wild west i you know what i know that uh we have we have friends that do um war gaming of wild west from like a calvary versus indigenous peoples type right. you know uh war gaming like pony um, wars yeah pony wars pony wars is huge yeah people love that oh, i love yeah, that no it's, i mean it's, i think it looks fantastic yeah you know, it seems like a lot of fun um so you know when you say wild west maybe that's where i'm kind of like wild west as in you know you know rio bravo there you go it's a perfect example Right. So uh, or sons of Katie Elder. Right. You have you have all the bad guys and the bad guys have this bad guy army. Right. <laughs> and you have the good guys and the good guys have like four or five guys. Right. You know, and they got to figure out how to make it work. You know, so maybe that's, uh, you know, I have to look more into that. So, Kit, I will. Uh, I promise I will look more into that. Uh, no promises on when. Uh, you'll hear a show about that, but maybe I can find somebody that's really, really like on the deep end, like really involved and engaged in Wild West Wargaming to come on the show here. Uh, let's uh, let's see what else we got. So we got uh, what? Uh, let's see, we got Paul listening in Connecticut. Uh, this is going to be right down your alley, there, buddy. I tell you right uh, now, Claude Bailey. This is right down your alley. <laughs> So Paul uh, writes, I have heard you say many times that 15 millimeters is too small and 54 millimeters way too big. No. But if you had to pick one, which would it be? Also, I was thinking about getting into 54 millimeter myself. Do you have any suggestions for companies whose figures, uh, figure detail is really good? Finally, bring back the watch alongs. Those were hilarious. Thank you, Paul. Okay, so there's three things here. Yes. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the watch alongs first because we'll get that out of the way. Um, I used to I love doing the watch alongs. Um, and okay, fine. I'll bring him back. All right. Not today. Yay! Not in this episode. But I'll bring him back because I there's a few of them there. I'm having fun with because it's well, we all love mystery science theater. Let's face right. It. It's the same <laughs> concept. It's just you know you have to like just kind of take the the video and you have to take the audio from the podcast and match it up. And I, oh yeah, I, it's a blast. I, I kind of felt that it was maybe asking people to do too much, you know, but, uh, but you know, Paul, I've, I have gotten a couple other emails in the past about that too. I, uh, think, hey, I, I, I agree with Paul. All right. All right. So the next one we'll, we'll go into is uh 15 millimeter versus 54 mil. If I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, that's a huge. But I mean, uh, if if you have, yeah, it's a huge gap there. But if I had to pick either 15 millimeter or 54 millimeter, that's the question. Uh, 
Got it. Okay. So there's nothing in between. One or the other, I probably do the uh, 15. And I and I take the exact same op- the exact opposite position. I, I definitely I know. take fifty four. Yeah, the, the reason I take fifteen is in space wise, but also painting wise. I, I the fifty four. I, I don't know oh. where I would. I don't know where I would store it. Uh, well, look, look. I mean, you have you have a you have a compound. Like right now, we have the video going on, which you'll never see the video. But he, sh- Claude. Is is taking me on a tour of his compound. He has guards, and he has this fifty-four millimeter setup in his. It looks like it. It's like in your back porch. Yes, it's our, our, <laughs> my poor wife. It's our back patio, which is no longer usable except for wargaming. Right, and I mean, you have is that is that like a nine ten foot table? That is. Let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. 12 foot table set up and it's set up which you need for 54 millimeter which you Paul, need by the way, for 54 so millimeter <laughs> i'm in a i'm in a 10 by 10 room that i share with the cat right and 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 i got one corner is the podcast stuff the other corner is the the painting room and one corner is the cat stuff if you know what i'm talking about and then the one corner <laughs> is the door so, so i think the, and that 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 brings up a really good point man because it's for your, for the guy that that asked the question for Paul the um the issue is i could think basically like like Scott said painting time um and also it comes really really comes down to do you have space to store it all that's yeah. basically and to, and to game it because you can't game you can't really do it i mean you can but a 54 millimeter game on a 4 by 6 table is fairly to be frank unsatisfying <laughs> <laughs> I can I can I can understand that. Yeah. And there's other games. Uh I'll bring around the 15 millimeter. You'd almost have to do 15 millimeter with big battles. Like Napoleonic. Right. Or, or even the Sikh Wars or the you know Shiloh and yeah. Tetum. Oh, those, yeah. You know, I mean Normandy. I mean, if you want to really do them, LL Maine. If you really want to do them, you got to do them in 15 mil or under. For to begin to get the big scope of the whole deal, right? Absolutely. But that's one of the reasons why I like skirmish. So, yeah. Now I I don't have to think like that anymore. That would be a good topic for a future uh, podcast: is skirmish versus big battle. Yeah, I have. You know what? I have a couple of things. Like I have a, I have a couple of things in mind on that. I actually have stuff half half of something recorded. Nice, cool. For that, I want to do a. The battle, the battle skirmish versus big games. I already got Chris Pringle. He's already on audio. Who is the the big bloody? <laughs> I was gonna say something bad. The big bloody battles. <laughs> well, I like that. Big bloody battles uh, rule set, and he's already taped his his making the case. And uh, and I have a. Uh, somebody else lined up to do the making the case for the skirmish and it's going to be a battle Ooh. of wits and i love so it sorry i have half of it recorded so it's sitting it's another, in a folder so his other question was about yes recommendations for 54 millimeter right figures. so let's let's see it let's see and i think it depends on what historical period really right so the question is do you have any suggestions for companies whose figures whose figure detail is really good so let's let's do this 
figure details really good. That's one criteria. The other criteria is going to be 19th century. So to hone it down, because he didn't, uh, Paul, you didn't really kind of give us a an era or what you were right. kind of looking to game. So let's 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 break it down. So if I were if I were going to game, the, okay, Anglo Sikh War. So what? Huh. Name me one company that I could go to for fifty four. Yeah, none, none. Well, there's a, yeah, no, literally none. Um, so I did the Indian Mutiny in fifty four millimeter. Mm-hmm. The only company, there's two companies that have ever made figures for the Indian Mutiny in that scale. One of them is Trophy Miniatures, and they're okay. metal. The other one is Britain's, also metal. Okay. It's a very small range. They're very expensive. Uh, they're beautiful, and they're extremely well-painted, but so, yeah. There are no 54-millimeter figures made specifically for the Sikh Wars. Okay. But <laughs> that being said... There are a lot of Napoleonic figures, plastic, 54 mm-hmm. millimeter, that, that can be adapted fairly easily um, to, for the Sikh Wars, for example, if you want to use that as an example. Sure. Um, but it takes, you have to know how to, you, I mean, it's not hard, but, and I find one of my favorite things with 54 millimeter figures is the conversions. Mm-hmm. But you can use Napoleonic figures, um, armies in plastic. Some people think it. I some people think it has a bad rap. I love armies and plastic figures. Right. I think they changed. Honestly, they changed the wargaming world um, because it was the first time that they were making fifty-four millimeter figures in plastic that were decent um, in all different periods. But the Napoleonic figures and armies in plastic can be modified to do. You could do the Sikh Wars. Now, what about uh, now? Didn't if correct me if I'm wrong, but what about hat? The one seventy second great Napoleon. Yes, there are some, and that as far as detail goes, the detail right. on the hat figures is much better. Armies in plastic isn't bad as far as detail right. goes, but hat is better. But they um, don't, they don't but, have the 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 range. They don't have a a, a lot. No, you know, they lots have of a, Napoleonics. They have a lot of Napoleonics in fifty four. Yes, they do. Okay. Yes. So. Uh, well, they used they, to, I mean, I've got a bunch. I don't know if they're still making them. I know I've got Austrians. I've got French. I've got British. Are they hard, pla- are they hard plastic or soft plastic? They're hard. They're hard, so- they're hard well, plastic? They're, they're, so- they're harder than armies in plastic. <laughs> okay. Is that, no, the reason I ask is because I'm not loved, brittle. What, the one thing I loved about hat when I was doing 172nd is if, I, if they didn't have, if I needed to make a type of conversion, it was me and a knife. Right. You know, that was it because it was such a soft plastic. I could go ahead. When I was doing a Crimean War, I got the World War One, one seventy second scale French, early war oh, French. Perfect. Yeah. And with a little bit, with a little carving, just a little, all of a sudden, boom, I had, I had uh, figures that would, were, were passable for Crimean War. Well, and also, so I did Franco-Prussian War on a very small scale in 54 millimeter. And I, I used Hat and I used um, actually Airfix and BMC and also Armies in Plastic, of course. Um, but that's that was easy. I mean, I could take World War One French and Germans mm-hmm. Armies in Plastic and make them very suitable for the Franco-Prussian War. Because in that case, it's just you're, you're doing a, a different paint job, really. Well, there's a few. I mean, there's a little few details. Too, but yeah, but, yeah. 
So now let's say, let's say, let me turn around. Let's say it's going to be later part of 19th century. Let's say the Spanish-American War. Again, Armies and Plastic. Armies and Plastic makes a really nice Spanish-American War range. Yeah. Both sides. Yeah. They also make a great, um, I have one actually. It's like a, it's like a blockhouse kind of thing. Okay. For, for specifically, they, I mean, I use it for India, but uh, for Spanish-American War. It's a big, huge thing where the top comes off. It's got a mm-hmm. veranda all around it. Um, it's really cool. And that that comes in a set with all the figures for both sides. I think it's like, I want to say like 100 figures. It's oh. like, they call it San Juan Hill or something like that. But oh, it's uh, great, great have figures you, on both sides. Have you seen the Have you seen the uh, the miniseries about Teddy Roosevelt uh, and, the, and the Spanish-American War? Where Teddy Roosevelt is played by like Tom Berenger or something like that. And oh yeah, yeah, I have. Kind of goofy. The cheese factors. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> I was reminded because I was before when I woke up today and you know I I turned on YouTube and they have you know I, 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 clips of stuff like that. There yeah. was some. There was Jeff Bridges. He was playing uh, Winfield Scott. And oh he right. Was, and he was just. I was like, huh, I haven't seen that before. Jeff Bridges, he's all right, you know, and <laughs> and it was some speech about Caesar, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can't do this. Okay, it's too cheesy, you know. So, anyway, that's I should oh, I should have saved it and done the watch along with that. That way we can all have some. Oh fun. yeah, well you can find that, it again. I'm sure I'll find it again. <laughs> anyway, Paul, uh, listening in Connecticut, thank you very much for your question. Yeah, good um, question. That was a good question right there. Okay, Go so fifty four millimeter, buddy, all the way, <laughs> all the way. That's your we next. Call, we uh, call it God's own scale. Is that what you? Is it really? Yep. You're lucky. I love you. <laughs> All right. So this email comes from Seth in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, Scott, a quick question for you, and only because I find it interesting. Where do most of your listeners live? Is there a way to tell? Keep up the good work, Seth. Uh, you know. So let me pull up the, so I'm one of my, the host of the, of the podcast is a company called Captivate. And basically I load everything up on the, the Captivate site and it, it has a, a lot of tools. This isn't an ad. I'm just saying, this is what I use. Mm-hmm. I pay for it, you know, so it's not like, you know, they're doing me any favors because <laughs> I'm taking my money. Um <laughs> And they have a analysis or an analytics uh, section. So let me pull it up here. Did you say you got that daily, Scott? Well, that the that was we were talking about that before we uh, before we started recording. The daily is I get this thing called chartables, and it just tells you where people where you end up in the chart in the uh, uh, and the, it's only for Apple Podcasts. So oh, okay. uh, yeah, so if 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 you folks listen more. In England, I'm going to see it in the chartables up and down. Uh, but uh, so I'm pulling up the analytics here to answer the question. And here it is. Uh, let's see. Uh, United States is number one with 53% of all listeners. Wow. Un- United Kingdom is number two with 20%. Mm-hmm. Australian is 10%. New Zealand is a couple percent, and then it goes down from there. So, um, what's your listenership like in South Africa? Uh, let's see here, South Africa. 
It's low, actually. Huh. It's very, yeah, it's very low. I do have listeners in South Africa. Love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's, it, it's, it's funny because they give me a, this a chart. It's a chart of the world and every country is highlighted that's listened. Mm-hmm. And so all, uh, all I need in Europe is for, let's see, I need someone to listen to the show in Switzerland and in Belarus. And I got all of, everybody has listened at least one time in really? all of Europe. So that's kind of cool. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say the whole world. Oh, no, no. I, uh, that some, there's some blocked. Like literally, there are some countries that are blocked. I can't find out. I can find out that people listen in Russia, but I can't find out where they listen in Russia. I can't find out any if anybody listens in China. There's no way to tell. It's well, blocked. Mongol- Mongolia is blocked. How about Pakistan? Pakistan? No, Pakistan. Um, I can find out who's listening in Pakistan. I cannot find anybody in Iran. In um, in Afghanistan, huh? Not a lot of listeners there, probably. Libya or Algeria, but you'd be surprised. Well, you'd be surprised because I can tell Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. Well, those, those have functioning governments. Yeah, Azerbaijan, Turkey. Libya does not. Syria, I can tell who's listening in Syria. Oh, that's sad. Huh. Oh, that it I could, makes me it makes me sad that what's going on there. I just feel sorry oh, for anybody. Oh, I was gonna say it's like no, I want them to listen everywhere, oh, not just sure, in Syria. Yeah. I mean, I don't want you to be sad about people listening to me in Syria. I mean oh. what the what are you talking I just, about? I feel sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. You know what? There's there's such a it's so weird to see this and then see like in, in Ukraine, there's a bunch of listeners in Ukraine. And you're wow. with everything going on in Ukraine, and you're listening to this podcast, I thank you, and I That's hope amazing. this brings you solace. I hope it brings you some normality or something like that. But oh, man, you know, you got some, you got some stuff going on. Obviously, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Egypt, uh, Turkey, Syria. You know, it's just interesting to see um, where people listen. I think it's more interesting than it is, you know. Not like I'm doing this for financial gain here, but uh, I'm not. But United States, England, Australia, uh, New Zealand, uh, and India, those are top five. All English, primarily English speaking, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, some of the other other countries that listen might be something that all of a sudden I have, uh, if I have something in the in the description of the show, like, you know, today we're going to be talking about the Kazakhstan and all of a sudden there's a bunch of Kazakhstan oh, that makes sense listeners too. where they're like, Oh, what he, what's he saying about Kazakhstan, you know, or Egypt or whatever, you know, um, right. after the, uh, after the podcast with Alan Curtis talking about uh, the battle of the, or the uh, war in the Pacific in the 1800s with uh, Chile, Peru and um, Uruguay. Uh, all of a sudden, bam! All up in those in in the, those searches. So it's like, okay, you have a but, big jump in listener in India and Pakistan after the the, the interviews with Gurinder Singh. Um, in Pakistan, yes. In India, no. Uh, huh. And the reason India is because India 
the listeners in India have been steady all the way through. Yeah. You know, so. So anyway, so here we go. Uh, so Seth, I hope that answers your question. Uh, that's a good like inside baseball question. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's not really, not really a war gaming, but you know, it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. interesting. To, yeah. Uh, this next question uh, email comes from Zachary in Fresno. Good old Fresno. Uh, Scott, I'm working through your backlog of episodes, but really enjoying the podcast so far, which I appreciate. Thank you very much. Uh, I have shared it with my local club, the Little Generals, <laughs> Fresno like CA. Excellent. We have a teenage club member who has expressed interest in the Box Rebellion. Cool. Partic- particularly as uh, it relates to involvement of the U.S. Marines of that period. I only have uh, the most limited familiarity with the conflict that comes from the feast day of the Holy Martyrs of China celebrated in the Russian Orthodox Church. What? Yeah. Never I haven't heard of that. that before. Yeah. That's interesting, though. That's Very. Uh, interesting to have that uh, put in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever covered the Box Rebellion? If so, what episode? What miniatures and resources would you recommend for someone interested in that conflict? What rules would you recommend for uh, to wargame the Box Rebellion? Given that the club member in question is just start uh, is just starting his wargaming hobby, I think an easy skirmish rule set that doesn't require a high model count would be best. Cheers, Zachary. I have great, a great email. Me, can, I, can I interrupt? Yes, please. <laughs> I would highly recommend A Gentleman's War by Howard Whitehouse. Yeah. Yeah, especially for, for a beginner. Um, the skirmish level is perfect. Um, and as far as scale, I'm guessing it's prob- they're probably using 28 millimeter, but I would very much recommend A Gentleman's War. It's very accessible. It's fun. It's, um, yeah, you don't need, you know, a thousand figures. No. It's very colorful and entertaining, and it's highly adaptable to, it would work great for the Boxer Rebellion. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny is I... I've always wanted to game the Boxer Rebellion. Mm. I haven't yet. I'm, I'm going to say yet because, and literally, and I say this, one of my top five movies of all time, all time, <laughs> is 55 Days in Peking with Charlton yeah. Heston and David Niven. Pretty great. Love that movie. It's like, it really is. Lawrence of, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, 55 Days of Peking, Citizen Kane, um, Maltese Falcon, Cartoon? Cartoon would be number six. Um and Reds is uh my number is my number four. Really? I love Reds. Oh god, I hate that movie. Oh, I love it. With Warren Beatty? Yes. Oh, it's awful. I know, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It's just like what? What? But I just real quick, I'll get to your question. And I'll, we'll address your thing just like Zachary. Let me tell you about Reds. All right. God, all right. Let me tell you about Reds. <laughs> what I love about Reds is the I I I I ignore all the love story. Well, that's the whole movie. Yeah, but there's so much historical undertone. Yeah, that's true. You're right. That I'm just right. I'm just in. Good point. I'm just in. Just in. You know the. 
and how people were feeling and and yeah. thinking at the time and the writers and going back and forth and then the then the revolution of the Russian Revolution and everything it just it, that, it, I, that I, I, landscape that. to me is excellent. Yeah, the love story I don't really care. I never pay attention. Visually to the love very story. rich too. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're I'll, absolutely right. I, I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll have to watch it again. I, I changed my mind. You're right. Well, I mean, I appreciate when people say what. <laughs> Another one. I'll, I'm going to go off on a tangent. Razor's Edge. Mm. With Bill Murray, not yes. the original. With Bill Murray. Totally you agree think, with you. You you think Bill Murray? What? No, I you completely know? agree with you. He did a fantastic job. It's one of my favorite books. Me too. Oh my God, Scott. Me too. It's like one of my top three favorite books. Oh, of all time. absolutely. Yeah, my my top three. And I love the, Bill Murray. Yeah, he he nailed this. He nailed yep. it. And you know what? That was uh, from what I from what I heard. That was we're so off a tangent on poor Zach's. Oh, I love it. Budget. It's a great conversation. Um, the <laughs> the movie Razor's Edge was that's how he got to do Ghostbusters too. They were gonna. They, they asked him. They asked him to do Ghostbusters too, and he says, "I, I don't want to do Ghostbusters too. I want to do Razor's Edge." And they said, "Well, if you, we'll let you do Razor's Edge if you do Ghostbusters too, or something like that." That's really yeah, because I can I can see obviously Ghostbusters two was a big money maker, and Razor's yeah. Edge was not. No, it was not. Well, that's a, what a cool story, man. So I I just that's he's so good in that. No, he's fab. It's a fab. Well, again, it's a fabulous so, story, and rare, rarely, if ever, does a movie. Mm -hmm. justice to a book right but in that case it really it got close you know another one not to go off even more of a tangent um the english patient really oh, i love that movie it's Do the you? same reasons i'm have gonna have to, i'm i'm gonna have to i saw it in the theater oh cool and i walked away like this what the hell it's now you might Ugh. Yeah, but now, I but now I'm older, and you know, it's such a. It, the book was brilliant, and it's it's takes place in North Africa and Italy in the Second World War, mm -hmm. and the book is again. I can't recommend the book highly enough. But there's and like it's like Reds. This is what made me start thinking of it. There's a love story sort of behind it, but it's got um, Willem Dafoe, Ray Fiennes. Mm -hmm. um, it's visually just absolutely gorgeous, and it's yeah. No, I and I'm obviously very interested in. North Africa and the Second World War. And right. um, there's it also the second half of the of the film is revolves around an, an Indian officer um uh in the British Army in Italy. And it's just it's a brilliant movie, I think. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. I think Back we, to we've we have totally <laughs> blown now we Zach's butchered like, that. Zachary's looking at the his phone or wherever he's mm -hmm. listening to his podcast, he's going, What the hell are you guys talking about? So okay, so let's get to the point. Okay, so Zachary, so uh, let's talk about um, uh, the Boxer Rebellion. The I, I will tell you, the best resource is going to sound so stupid, but is that movie? Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, Fifty Five Days at Peking, Charlton Heston, mm -hmm. uh, Ava Gardner, David Niven. Uh, the uniforms are spot on. Yeah. The, um. The outfits that uh, the Chinese boxers uh, are wearing are spot on. The idea is spot on. It's a dramatization, absolutely, you know. But they they captured the flavor of the whole deal. My only complaint with that film is that there are no 
there's no representative of the Indian Army in that. And the Indian Army was the that was a big engagement for the Indian Army. Right. But that but again, you know, to to that point, but we're talking about the legation. Now, the Indian Army was in the in the relief forces. Correct. But they but they relieved it, the the legations. Well, anyway, but yeah, but I, I complain about that with everything. So, anyway. oh, OK, well, whiner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'm sorry. No. Uh, so, anyway, so, so that's a good resource. There's there's a ton of books out there. That's a great resource. Uh, Mr. Whitehouse, the gentleman you met, he had a great. Yes, that that is that is really good. I um I would almost I would almost suggest going with the uh, men who would be kings if you're going to do 28 mil in that Agreed. because I I think that it covers it covers the idea of the boxer rebellion just as well as any other mm-hmm. any other rule set. Um, you know, a shout out to the Facebook page Colonial War Games. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of guys on there that I met a few years ago when I started wargaming who have done Boxer Rebellion in epic 54 millimeter scale, first of all. Really? Um, yeah, like spectacular. Wow. But I've also seen it done in 28 millimeter. And yeah, I think mostly um, from my memory, if my memory serves me correct, they either use Sword and Flame or The Men Who Would Be Kings. Sword and Flame. I, I have such a love-hate relationship yeah, you mentioned that yeah i i love it it was my first rule set i used uh when i played um colonials i just felt that i needed so many figures to be able <laughs> yeah. to do something justice you know it's a, so it was almost it, it it took one to one to like this umpteenth scale yeah which is not helpful for somebody who's just starting out <laughs> no so um it i good point I, even even the men who would be kings kind of requires a larger a larger uh, well, amount of then a, a gentleman's war then you don't need yeah. you know you could probably do boxer rebellion using a gentleman's war rules with gosh i don't know cuz you can get gatling guns in there and and even mm-hmm. like steamships if you really wanted to get crazy but um with maybe i don't know maybe 100 figures yeah total the um, and this is where this is where I would like to uh, recommend Blood and Steel, um, because the skirmish you only need few few, but they don't have they don't have like, uh, like how many? When you say few few, how do? You... Well, uh, so I they do in the Blood and Steel rule set they give you, um, they give you a uh, force list for the, um. Spanish American War, and you're looking at if you wanted to play the, the Spanish American War. Now it came about the same time. That's why I bring this up. Oh, it's exactly spot on. Yeah, you know, right. um, to to field a force of Marines of U.S. Marines, you're mm-hmm. looking at you would need 21 infantry figures, six cavalry figures, and one gun. On oh. And I that's think a general, gentleman's that, war is about the same right. ratio. I would say. Okay, so but, that's so. I mean, if you think about it, if you're going to paint, and you, let's say you're just starting out in that air, then that field, the the Marines are pretty, probably pretty good to start out with because they're they're, it's tan and blue, right? 
you know, and and so you can get through it pretty easy and still have some fun with detail if you want. Um, when it comes to the boxers, you I mean, white with the red with the red circle, you know, or all red, or if you wanted to get uh, froggy and jump in and do the um, do the tiger uh, group, the tiger company with the where everybody's wearing the tiger striped outfits the, the, oh, the tiger stripe pajamas oh you're oh you're talking about okay yeah yeah, yeah. the boxers yeah yeah you know so um i'm not uh, you know i i have i have the working knowledge of the movie and what i've read and what i've looked at in my in my wish list of figures to get you know but you know what i'm gonna have to i gotta try to i i have to do a show on the box for rebellion that's the one thing yeah. i haven't done i did a watch along I think it's still up because of my old my my old uh, pre Shot and Shield supercast shows. I did a watch along of uh, Fifty Five Days of Peking. Oh, cool! Just the just the episode the the part of the episode where <laughs> where all the all of the uh, the Chinese are coming running down off the top of the off the top of the um, the wall. Trying to get wall. into the yeah, trying to get into the legation, and everybody they uh, the um, the allied forces have put together these like carts with like pianos on them and stuff, and they're rolling them up the the For, to make barricades yeah. yeah to make barricades the rolling barricades to get them yeah. off the off the top, and I just I did a thing because I thought it was hysterical that you know this they're they're yeah, Charlton Heston and a bunch of his buddies are there. They take this this cart, this wooden cart, and it has a it has a piano front, <laughs> and is just driving these poor guys off. And then the jingle guns being used, and then the the international gun explodes, and they're doing the and and again and again. This is my biggest problem with movies in general. Nobody knows how to use a machine gun. I mean, it's a machine gun. You should be wiping people out, but no, you get like. The machine goes rat a tat tat rat a tat tat rat a tat tat, and one guy goes oh, and he falls. It's like no, it should be like a hundred guys going and falling. Nobody can nobody can aim this thing. Why, Claude? Tell me why can nobody uh, aim a Vickers machine gun? Because in, in 1900, 1900, uh, it was you know new technology, newer technology. So you but know. aiming's the same. It's been the same since biblical times when somebody picked up a spear and said i'm throwing it at you i gotta aim it <laughs> can i can i re recommend a book yes peking 1900 the boxer rebellion it's an osprey campaign mm. series book by uh peter harrington i i would that's where i would start if you want to know more about yeah. i think it's available you have to buy it but it's it's a beautiful book super well illustrated um, the Osprey campaign series books are great, obviously yes. for war gamers. They're out, they're mm -hmm. really like perfect. Yeah. They have maps, they have uniforms, they have beautiful color plates, they have really good background and to the to the conflict. Um, I would I would recommend those across the board for any wargaming at all. Period. And if you want to do it on the cheap, you just type in in Google, you know, the what you're looking for. Yeah, and, and when it, and you go to images and Pinterest, 
And all of a sudden there's everybody, they, all these pictures are all photoed. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, but I'm just saying you're not going to get the full, the full, the full flavor of the book, which you should have the book in your, in your, in your uh, library, if you're going to do any of these, uh, any of these areas, but um, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get an expert on to do this. I do. I gotta get the I, boxer rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. An author or somebody who games contact this. Helion. I'm sure somebody, I think Helion has a book about. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to find, I'll call, I have to, you know, I know a guy over there. I know a few guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I sound like a mobster. Yeah. I know a guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know a guy. We'll talk about yeah, the boxer that's rebellion. It. That's um, the way. But also, uh, you know who is somebody in my area here? His name is Mark Coolidge. He uh, is down in Fort Lauderdale. He's the Duke of Fort Lauderdale. That's his. Oh, nice. And uh, he does Box Rebellion. He has uh, a Facebook group also about the Box Rebellion. Um, and that's a good one to to become a part of there, Zach. If you tell your uh, your teenage club member that. So I don't think we've answered a lot of his question, but it does. I I, I will do. I promise that I will do a supplement or a show on Box Rebellion. So I think I could find a, uh, I think I could find an old time radio show on that too. I think I have. Oh, one. I'm sure. Yeah. I think I have one in my back pocket. So one more book book recommendation from yeah. Helion. It's a Helion book. It's called China's Wars, uh, published in 2013 by Philip Jowett. Okay, so Zach, I hope that helps you out a little bit. Uh, but as I say, I'll promise I'll I'll get. Uh, I'll do a I'll do a full show just nothing but box rebellion. I've been wanting to do that. I just haven't had a. I've been trying to mix it up, you know, trying to mix up that way. It's just not one thing. But I, I will tell you that there's a couple of shows I've done one thing on, and people are in. So, so you know what, box rebellion. I'll do that. So Zach, thank you very much for your question. Our last email, last one. Email. Uh, last email is from Wally in Ohio. Scott, I love the show very much, and I am an avid listener, but can you ever see yourself ditching this podcast and doing one just like it for World War II? I think it would be so much better than hearing other people drone on and on and on about the Eastern Front and Normandy. It's like there weren't any other battles. Oh, I totally agree. Scott, my captain, my duke, will you ever do this? If not... I will still listen. LOL, Wally in Ohio. <laughs> what do you think about this big guy? I, I I completely agree with him, but I I you know what that would uh, it would scare me a little, frankly, to do a podcast on that because I I am again the one thing I love about the 19th century is because it is this tapestry of all these different different eras landscape this is a total blitz of so much little things going on mm -hmm. that it makes it really interesting when you start doing world war ii you in, you inevitably have to hit the big stuff but i don't think there is as much little stuff as we think. I disagree with you. Okay. Cause my, I could tell you my first show would be on Palestine, French Syria. versus, versus, uh, yep. uh, British. That'd be my well, first and, one. And Indian and Indian. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I should say French versus Commonwealth. How's that? There you go. Okay. I would do Persians, Russians. Yeah. And Indians. And Indians. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I would do Kenya. Uh, well, Ethiop- about, Ethiopia, yeah, Ethiopia, Eritrea. Ethiopia, that that area, um, everything before the Germans got involved in Africa, I'm in. Once the Germans got involved in Africa, I'm out. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I just you know you got Italians and uh, and Brit and British Commonwealth. All right, uh, <laughs> I, I just I I'm involved. It's it's like. Not only that, but you I mean you have the South Africans with their pith helmets. You have the yeah, New Zealanders. You have the Australians. You have got Rhodesians, Indians, Rhodesians, Greeks, Polish. It, it's it is an amazing setup to play uh, against Italians that are also using their Ascari type troops as well, and there's natives. Um, what's it, Lion of the Desert type stuff? Oh yeah, right. So you have you have then you have Libya, uh, the Libyan uh, locals against the against the Italians and leading up. So there's a lot there, you know. After that, then you know Burma. Well, oh, definitely. You know you got to be involved in Singapore, Malaya, Burma, Malaya, um, you know China versus. Uh, China versus Japan, getting in there, Manchuria, I'd be involved. Um, you know, so there's there's some stuff going on. Uh, you know, you keep it, uh, if you want to continue doing uh, uh, British German, then I would do Crete, mm. Greece. Greece, yeah. Greece, Albania. That's there's some the great, Balkans, yeah. great stuff there. Um, I would have to, even though it's not part of World War II, but I'd have to include the Spanish Civil War just because Definitely. it's in the same era. Same kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Well, then um, what about then you have to do the uh, I mean, for me, anyway, the whole the Waziristan campaign in 1936. Right. Absolutely. You put that all in there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so there's uh, I would I, I would do Poland. I would yeah. do Poland. I would do Poland because what, you know, cavalry. Yeah. You have cavalry versus tanks. I mean, you know, there's so there's a lot there's a there and 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 the Polish they weren't they weren't uh, slugs in this. No, no, them and they fought hard. Very, they fought hard. They were smart. You know, they yep. gave them a they gave them a run. You know, I mean, they just uh, they, what what you know if if I'm remembering my history right, you know, the only reason Poland they just were overwhelmed. Because of the the geopolitical that they got, got you know. Well, so there's the, the Russo-Finnish war. Yeah, there you go, and Russo-Finnish. Right, yep. Yeah. Obscure, so there's but... there's there's a lot to do in that case, but that once you get through that, and for balance, for balance, you you just can't. Right. I don't think yeah. I don't think you could do. I don't think you could do. Um. Libya, or I'm sorry, Ethiopia and and Italian, and then the next show not do the Battle of the Bulge or the Battle for Berlin. 
to, 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 for, for the balance of the program. I see what you mean. Yeah. You know, because all of a sudden it's like, man, does this guy know anything other than everything? Not, not world war two, you know, because that's what the yeah. thing starts because it's like, uh, Normandy, the breakout Arnhem. Um, right. Saving private Ryan. Right. Saving private Ryan. <laughs> you know, I mean, I will, t- I will tell you that I would have, there's a, be a ton of watch alongs because there's so many yeah. movies. Uh, and then there's, I, I will tell you the, the radio shows that oh, I can yeah, find, I they're all over the place. There's, yeah. I mean, there, I, there would, I would never be scrounging. Right. You know, but I, I, uh, how about, what about gaming? Uh, the, the Japanese uh, takeover of Singapore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Give, give I'd, I'd fight that one again. <laughs> but <laughs> that's sad. Isn't it sad? Mm-hmm. Sad. Super because sad. It, I, I get to a point in almost all of my reading about the Indian Army where that happens. And then I have to put the book down and go back to reading about some other something else because mm-hmm. it's so incredibly depressing to me. But who anyway. was the, the I don't know, who was talk the, about a tangent? Ooh, who was the commander? I, he Wavell? Uh, no, not Wavell. Uh, I want to say Anderson, but I don't know. It was somebody that was in. It was somebody that was in the Middle East, and they moved him. Yep, you're right. And it just, his name was he had he had the position he had the. He had the artillery. He had everything going for him. Yeah, and he, I mean, and he didn't think he did. It was General up. Percival. Per- Percival, that was it. Because Percival, he was, he was in Egypt at one time. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Actually, I think he was. Uh, no, I mean, he wasn't. I was going to say he was primarily Indian Army, but I don't think that's right. Anyway, hmm. so anyway. So that's good. Yeah, awesome that would be that would be a great game to do over again, just because and, and, and give it the old college try. At least it's really least, interesting. Yeah. You got you had you had uh, land forces, you had amphibious invasions, you had a lot of interesting air act air actions. Um, bicycle, yeah, bicycle troops, bicycle. Oh, yeah. troops. yeah, 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 for sure. Not the bicycle. They would run off a tangent again. Oh, big time. <laughs> So for you 19th century fans, uh, 19th century uh, war uh, wargaming fans, I apologize. We just went right yeah, off a too. tangent. Thanks, Wally. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Good question, Wally. But no, you know what? I I can't I can't say that I ever do that. I really can't. I don't. I, I this this podcast right here um, takes a lot of time. I have I have uh, one other that I do that I haven't done in a long time. I was going to ask you if you were still doing that. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I own this, the podcast network that, that the show is on. Mm-hmm. The show is on, it's, um, it's called, it's called, um, experience 15. That's the, that's the podcast network. That's not and, where you started on either. Is it? No, no, no. That's the, I just changed the name of it. Oh, okay. You know, um, <laughs> the, uh and then there's a comedy one that I have. Um, and then that I haven't done. I have a buddy who's who is going to be doing a true crime one. Oh, fun. Uh, he's all in. That's and a big, then, big, big genre right now. Yeah. And, you know, he's he and he I, I'm just kind of sitting back and kind of editing and 
and helping him out with it. He just wants to roll cool. with it. And then, um, then I have the, uh, the vintage adventures, which I have not updated in a while. I, I did. And then I stopped. Um, so it's just like, and then I have a leadership, uh, podcast. I have 52 episodes of that, that I'm marketing. Wow. That, um, because I don't want it on the, on this, I want to sell it. And it's just takes a lot of time plus your day job. So I'm yeah. like, I'm wrecked and I'm trying to war game too. So I've kind of put a lot of things to the side to war game, frankly, as it should be. As I, as I was, I think we talked about this earlier. I'm not sure if we talked about it before we started recording or uh, as we were recording, but I literally, it was a, it's a beautiful day. I almost said, you know what, we're not going to do this. I'm going to start, I'm going to start, you know, but painting or something because it's, it's where we escape, right? We, we, that was before we started recording, but yeah, that, that, I don't know why I sent you that cartoon this morning, but it, somebody sent it to me, my buddy, Neil Rainwald, who does fabulous 28 millimeter stuff. Are you friends Abs- with Neil? I am. And Neil is absolutely awesome. He's a gentleman and a scholar and a, and a former high ranking United States army officer. And he is absolutely, he's a brilliant guy. I'm so glad to have met him on through Facebook. I, yeah, and he's he's a brilliant painter. He does he a has lot a, of pulp, actually. He does do a lot of pulp, and he actually has a great blog too. Oh yes, yes, yes. You know his blog is fantastic because he shows you the you know, all the painting he's doing, the games he's playing. He does a lot of stuff, not just nineteenth yep. century, which is the only fault he has is that he doesn't do everything nineteenth century like a good person should. But oh, he does true. other stuff too, and but the other stuff looks just, just as good. <laughs> it's just that it's not nineteenth century, and I don't really care about that. But uh, apart mm. from that. He's a he's, he's a fantastic he's got a great bloke. sense of humor. He does mm-hmm. really good movie reviews. And you know, he he uh just as a note, uh, I don't know why I even mentioned this, but uh the blood and steel uh rules, uh, a lot of his figures are in that book. Oh, no way. I didn't know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So I mean, you know, so he's he's really good. And I I'm, I got to think he has some box rebellion in there. I know. I think you know who has Boxer Rebellion? A lot of it is my buddy Nick. He's he used to work for Pixar and Disney. He's, uh-huh. He was a graphic designer all his life. Brilliant guy. Um, very, very, very dedicated, very serious, old school war gamer, Nick Stern. And he he I've gamed with him. We gamed during the pandemic virtually mm-hmm. numerous times. And um, primarily using the men who would be kings and the sword and the flame. But um, but he I know he did Boxer Rebellion in 54 millimeter. But he also does 28. All right. So all of a sudden I'm not now I'm in a box rebellion kick. Thanks, Zach. Pretty cool. Thanks. Think about it. You got British, you got Americans, you got French, like you said. You've yeah. got um Germans, yeah. Russian, got, Austria, Hungary, yep, uh, Hungarians. Indians. You could actually add uh Dutch to it if you wanted yeah. to. Even though the Dutch were non-aligned, they did go in and help. Right. They just weren't in the legation. Oh, my God. Can I give a plug to one, uh, to finish up? Yes. To Soldiers of the Queen magazine. Comes out quarterly. It's the Journal of the Victorian Military Society. Okay. Um, I look forward to it every month. It's absolutely fantastic. All the articles in it are written by historians, scholars, serious Victorian military people. Um, it's like, I think it's 25 pounds a year. Um, that's not the weight. That's the, how much it costs. Right. Sorry. Yes. 
25 pounds sterling, but it's, it's highly worth it. I, I love it. It's, it's great. And I get a lot of questions about it from people on Facebook and whatnot, asking where they can get it. And, uh, so yeah, plug, I highly recommend it. You know, tell people about your, uh, your Facebook groups. Oh, you have a few boy. of them. Cause well, I think, I got... think people would be interested in them. Okay. I've got, uh, well, I basically I've got only, I only have one big main one that I, that I created anyway. And that's, uh, the sword of the Raj, which is dedicated to the Indian army from nine, from 18, pretty much the mutiny up till independence in 1947 partition. Um, we've got, uh, like, I don't know, maybe almost 2000 members. You have some great um, info on there and there's some great, always great pictures. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, um, I don't, I try not to be super serious about it in terms of, I don't want it to turn into one of those Facebook groups that everyone gets criticized every time they post something. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, I hate that. I, I shut that yeah. down immediately. Um, mm. it's just for people who are interested. And in I mean, I got interested in the Indian army initially just because of the color it was, it's so colorful and interesting to me. I mean, it was the largest mercenary army in history and it was, you know, hundreds of races, religions, languages, um, all volunteer, always no, never conscription. Um, I don't know. It's just, it fascinates me. So that's why I got into it. And yeah, it's not about culture or religion. It's just specifically about the Indian army. And, right. Uh, which remained like super professional and did amazing things at the end during partition when, you know, unfortunately, you know, Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs were killing each other. The army, which was composed of all of those ethnic groups um, and religions, remained aloof, basically. They, right. they man, they saved tens of thousands of lives and they, you know, they, they kept professional till the very end. And I don't know. Anyway, but so, yeah, there's that group. And then, oops, where'd you go, Scott? I'm right here. Yeah, I lost you. Sorry. No, I um, can still hear you. I forgot that my uh, laptop is touchscreen. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm an admin on a bunch of groups, but. Uh, Do you have yeah. a you, oh, you have a YouTube channel, too, don't you? Yeah. And I, you know what? I what? just talk about not having enough time. I think I probably do have plenty of time. I'm just really super lazy. I want to do like a I want to do like not a podcast, but I want to interview people and have people yeah. on there. And like, I would love to do that, but I just, I don't know. I guess I don't have the, I I've never, I haven't sat down and done it yet. Let's just put it that way. But that's my dream is to do that is to make it like, a, like my own little TV show on YouTube about 19th century military history, basically. Right. And 20 and 20th century for me, but um, primarily 19th century. And, you know, but you know, any, any, ideas or thoughts or you know assistance with that would be much appreciated for anybody who's listening to this i would really uh i'd love to do it i think it'd be a lot of fun i have a lot of uniforms and uh that i you know i like to wear all that's what time, makes you so. the best dressed man in this hobby <laughs> <laughs> the, but i think that would be fun too to talk about you know gear and uniforms and kit and um i mean i just bought uh six uh fake world war one world war two british hand grenades so I've been painting those the last week or so, getting them ready for the uh, for the for the desert event coming up. I'm very excited! In two weeks, I will be in the California desert in Tunisia uh, for the annual California Historical Group uh, 
desert event. I'm going to be out there for five days. We have Jeeps and bell tents and uh lots of germans lots of italians lots of i'm in the british british group i'm gonna be an officer this year very excited Uh, oh you you made it up to officer yeah in one year (laughs) probably because you had the suits the the outfits yeah and the mustache (laughs) and the mustache you got that perfect wispy mustache that's yeah hardly It's, (laughs) it's really bristly i don't i don't know anyway but so yeah that's uh that's all i got man so I would like to end uh, this. We're ending the podcast now. This is going to be the end of the podcast, this particular podcast, uh, with a uh, shout out to, and I forget the gentleman who wrote the email to me, but it was like, do we hate uh, Claude Bailey? Uh, where, you know, because Claude Bailey hadn't been on. And did you fall out oh, of love my. with Claude Bailey? Where's Claude Bailey? Aww. And I remember saying, no, we don't hate Claude Bailey. Where'd that come from? You know, because you hadn't been on in a while. And I was like, you know, that's why I reached out to you, Claude. I was like, hey, you can help me answer some emails here because Aww. now everybody knows I don't hate Claude Bailey. Aww, he is I... War Gaming's bon vivant. How can you not? <laughs> how can you not love this guy? I think I remember who wrote that email. Your mom? Your no. mom? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, it was, it was another guy named Claude. Yeah, probably. I think it was Claude Everhart. Probably, but now I was just, I was That's like funny. I got the email and I'm looking at it and I'm like, are you kidding me? No, we don't. It's like I do this thing once a month. You know, there's plenty of guys I haven't talked to in a long time. I mean, it's not like we don't share, you know, you know, through the internet and stuff like that. Exactly. Emails and well, I'm I missed you, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to to do this. It's it's a lot of fun. I really was looking forward to it all week and uh Let's do it again, man. Absolutely. No, we will we will do this again. Claude Bailey, the really Wargaming's own bon vivant. I love saying that just because it's so true. Uh and really the best dressed man in in, uh, in our hobby. Uh, bon vivant. I, bon vivant. Anyway, Claude, I appreciate you coming on. Avec mon grand plaisir, mon ami. We. Oui. This is Shot and Shield. I hear the conditions in your army are appalling. Man, I'm sorry, but those are my conditions, and you'll just have to accept them. Shot and Shield is on social media. There's the Twitter page, at Shot and Shield. Please follow. There's a Facebook group, the Shot and Shield Podcast Wargaming Group. It's open to all. Please join and post some of your amazing games, paint jobs, and creations. Finally, the email, shotandshield.com at gmail.com. Email me if you have a question or a thought or even a complaint that you'd like read and answered on the podcast. Shot and Shield is on social media. This is Shot and Shield. Good luck against those elephants. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Shot and Shield Supercast on your favorite podcast apps. Uh, you got the Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google. You remember, you just type it in the Goog and Google will show up, etc. Any of your favorite podcast apps. I do ask you to subscribe, share, and hopefully, if you like the show, please give it five stars in, in the review section. And you can throw a review down there saying something like, Scott is just an awesome duke, something like that. Maybe? No? Okay. 
Anyway, now it's time for me to dig into the archive and present our audio discovery uh, for this episode. I look for these old-time radio shows, and the reason I do this is to help set the flavor for our gaming, especially uh, considering the 19th century or Pulp War gaming or anything like that, anything to really set the flavor to help us you know, really capture the essence of what we're doing. Uh, today, uh, by request, I got a ton of requests for this, and this is going to be a redo, a redo because I, I think I, I presented this uh, Foreign Legion classic, uh, I think maybe February two years ago. I want to say that. It's in my mind. But it's uh, the French Foreign Legion epic called Under Two Flags from 1937's Lux Radio Theater starring Herbert Marshall, Lionel Atwell, and Olivia de Havilland. Also, if you want, you can go to the Shot and Shield YouTube channel and see the movie version under the Shot and Shield Presents playlist. Oh, how about that? So that's a pretty cool. So I got the audio version here, and also you can see the, uh, the video version, the movie version, on the Shot and Shield YouTube channel. Now, let's do it. Under Two Flags. Hollywood, California, Monday, May 24th. The Lux Radio Theater presents Under Two Flags with Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Lucy Vallis, and Lionel Atwell. Under Two Flags comes to you through the courtesy of the makers of Lux Flakes. May we thank you for supporting the Lux Radio Theater through your regular use of Lux. Tonight, our stars are Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Ruby Velez, and Lionel Atwell. Our guests, Miss Fanchon of the famous team of Fanchon and Marco, now Hollywood's first major studio woman producer, and Louis Van Denecker, former sergeant in the French Foreign Legion. Our producer, Cecil B. DeMille. Our conductor, Louis Silver. So do we welcome you to another hour in Hollywood. Before starting our play, let me say that from all I hear, Lux Flakes seem to be mighty popular with modern brides. They're not going to risk dishpan hands if they can help it. They know that we men don't like red, rough hands. Such a hand feels coarse and unpleasant, makes a man wince inside, so naturally he tries not to show it. Mrs. John McGuire, who was married this year, puts it very well when she says, Maybe men respect them, but believe me, they don't admire dishpan hands. I'm not going to have them, thanks to Lux. As Mrs. McGuire knows, Lux guards against dishpan hands. It has no harmful alkali to dry and roughen the skin. You'll find it speeds up dishwashing, too. I turn the microphone over now to Hollywood's celebrated producer and star finder. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight's production of Under Two Flags recalls memories of the golden age on Broadway. David Belasco was starring Blanche Bates in this great play. I was acting in another production nearby, and frequently members of our company would slip into Belasco's theater to watch Miss Bates rehearse as Cigarette. Among us was a very young girl, also destined to leave the stage and try her luck in a fad that was soon to sweep the country, moving pictures. She did uh, rather well. Her name was Mary Pickford. Our story is from the celebrated novel of Louise de la Ramee. And tonight, thanks to Paramount and RKO Studios, we star a gentleman of long acquaintance with our microphone, Herbert Marshall. 
Bart leaves the set of Angel, his new picture with Marlena Dietrich, to portray the role of Corporal Victor. As cigarette, there's Guadalupe Villalobos, the hard way of saying Lupe Velez. Born in San Luis Potosí, daughter of a colonel and an opera singer, Lupe flared to fame on the Mexican musical comedy stage, and her firecracker personality prompted me to cast her in the third version of The Squaw Man. Olivia de Havilland's third appearance in the Lux Radio Theater finds her in the part of Lady Venetia, lovely, talented, and youthful. Olivia can look forward to a most brilliant Hollywood future. She's just completed Call It a Day and has begun work on It's Love I'm After for Warner Brothers. Just as busy as Lionel Atwell, who, like Lupe, is home from picture-making in England. He's just finished the road back for Universal and last train from Madrid for Paramount. We meet him tonight in the role of Major Doyle. From this point on, let our stars account for themselves. Up to the curtain, then, as once again we bring you the magic of the Lux Radio Theater, presenting Under Two Flags, starring Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Lupe Valdez, and Lionel Atwell. Land of shimmering sands and blazing suns, of trackless desert wastes, of scorching days and magic star-swept nights. Land of the foreign legion. On the edge of the Great Sahara, the little Arab town of Saida lies drowsing in the midday heat. Only in the cafe cigarette is there any sign of activity. Cigarette herself, a vivacious young French girl, moves from table to table, chatting with the patrons. Suddenly the door's flung open as her father waddles excitedly into the room. Sorry, little one, but Major Doyle is busy. Get out of my way. Here, here, what's this? Oh, hello, cigarette. Hello, hello. This fool here would not let me speak with you. It's all right, orderly. Well, it's nice to see you. <laughs> Thank you, Monsieur le Commandant. So you robbed me, eh? You ruined my father, my cafe. Oh, you pig! Easy there, easy. What's all this about? Look at this bill. Hmm? What you find, Legionnaire saw me. And what do you do, huh? You march him away. No, I never get my money. Oh, never, never. There, there, now, cigarette. I wouldn't do anything to hurt you. I never gave you a thought. No, you never do. Well, what can I do about it now? The company's gone. You can order them back. Call them back? Mm Mm-hmm. But I can't count them out an order. But, Commandant, for me, for cigarette? No. No? No. Oh, what a great big nose. And yet you say you love me. So when I ask you such a little thing like this, you say, no! Now, now, look here. Have I ever refused you anything in reason? Mm-mm. You always have been very, very kind. Yes, and too blasted patient. <laughs> now, I've 
I waited a long time for you, Cigarette. Ah, but you will soon be a colonel. Yes, you said major when I was a captain. <laughs> Did I? I never know how to take you. Now, do you love me or don't you? So very, very much. And when you're a colonel, I shall love you so much more and... Uh... And uh, what? Now you will bring the men back for me, yes? Uh-huh. And when they come back, I will kill them, hmm? Hmm? Like that. Oh, cigarette. <laughs> Goodbye, uh, Mr. No, 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 come back here, come back here, come. Little devil. Orderly. Commandant. Orderly, tell the adjutant to send a messenger out to the 14th company and order them back to barracks. Order them. Didn't you hear? Jump. <laughs> Come in. Commandant? Well, uh, Corporal Victor is here, sir. Victor? Who's he? One of the survivors of the 17th Company. Sir. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I want to see him. Commandant? Come over here. Your name, Victor? Yes, sir. 17th Company. How many have you left? Eight, sir. It was a surprise attack by C.D. Ben Uzi. Yes, I know that. You're lucky any of you came out alive. Yes, sir. Corporal Victor, your company was on its way here to Saida. You were carrying food to Colonel Thoreau's mess. Yes, sir. Well... Where is it? We haven't got it, sir. Arabs take it? No, sir. I gave it to the men. What? Emergency rations, sir, just after the attack. Emergency rations? How long has caviar been emergency rations? There were no complaints, sir. <laughs> you know those stores with the Colonel for all's private use? The Colonel has excellent taste, sir. I might add that his wine is also up to the mark. <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> Made up your mind to have one good meal before they finish you off, eh? <laughs> well, I think I'd have done the same thing myself. Thank you, sir. Corporal Victor, huh? Hmm. Any military service before you join the Legion? Yes, sir. British Army, of course. Yeah. <clears throat> How long in the Legion? First year of my second enlistment, sir. Good. I'll get you transferred to my battalion. It's the best battalion. I like to have the best men. I'd like to be under the best commander. Hmm? That'll do, Corporal. That'll do. Yes, sir. Oh, if I might make a request, sir. Well? There's another survivor, Legionnaire Rake. Hmm? I'd like to have him transferred with me, sir. Rake, eh? Friend of yours? A very old friend, sir. He's been with me. Uh, we've been friends for years. I'll arrange it. Thank you, sir. Hmm. I think I only like the 14th. They're a jolly bunch. Yes, sir. A bit noisy, sir. Don't call me, sir. You really must get out of that habit, Rick. Tried it, sir. But it will slip out like... Hello! Hello, my friend! How are you, Ivan? Sit down. Rick and I were just about to open a bottle. A bottle? Of course I'll sit down. Bless you, sir. 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 Bless you, <laughs> you like his looks, eh? <laughs> this is Corporal Victor. Oh, Corporal Victor. Uh-huh. I think I'm most welcome. <laughs> you will like it here, Corporal Victor. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Corporal Victor, I welcome you to my cafe. I am cigarette. How do you do, mademoiselle? May we have three glasses, please? What? For 
But uh, I am Cigarette, the master of the company. Again, how do you do? I'll be the first if you don't mind. But always, the first time you come, Cigarette gives you a bottle of wine. Thank you, mademoiselle, but we have cognac, as you see. Now, may we have our glasses? So, you refuse my wine. You insult me, my cafe. Perhaps we should be glad of your wine later. We have no glasses for you. Now or later. You are too good for us here, Corporal Cudlow. <laughs> <laughs> no. If you're not going to serve us, mademoiselle, we should have to go to another cafe. Uh, don't let him get away, cigarette. You lose your customer. Get on his left, cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The corporal would not like for someone to sit on his lap like this. <laughs> That's quite all right, mademoiselle. But I hope you don't mind if I stand up. Like this. Oh, you, you, you pig! You dog! You hit me on the floor, yes? Yes. Good night, mademoiselle. <laughs> One hour a day for rest and recreation, and they've got to spend it here in the bar. Well, get off my bunk, Ivan. Ah, don't. Oh, well, come on, get off. Don't you think you better have a nap, sir? I mean, corporal. Thanks, Wake. I'd rather finish carving this model. The horse, sir? It's a model of Forrest King. Like it? Carved him a bit delicate like, haven't you, sir? His legs, I mean. Well, perhaps I have. Yes, you'd have a broken fall leg with a bone like that. You know, sir, the time you always hit the regular at tree. <laughs> He had a great heart, that fellow. The biggest in England. Oh, sir, it would be nice to see him again, wouldn't it? Yeah, He's about the only thing I'd care to see again. Attention! Commandant's going around. Already, Commandant. Uh, listen, men. We're having a visitor. An English lady from the hotel. Now, act your best. At ease, men. Is this the place, Commandant? This is it. Come in, Lady Venetia. I do hope the men don't mind. Mind? Why, they're honored. Well... Oh, the men must be tortured with the flies. Shouldn't they have screens in their quarters? <laughs> screens? <laughs> it's said in the Legion that when a fly bites a legionnaire, the fly dies. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right, Corporal? <laughs> right, right, sir. Oh. How do you do? How do you do? Corporal Victor, one of my best led men, Lady Venetia. English, of course. Got a fine record in the Legion, I mean. Nothing to be ashamed of there at any rate. <laughs> Thank you, sir. This carving, is it your work, Corporal? My recreation. It's beautiful. A perfect model of an English thoroughbred hunter. A hunter, is it? A lot he knows about those. He sees nothing but Arab ponies in these parts. Might have been carved from memory. Not likely, I should think. But that's dangerous ground, my lady. Better not look into their pasts. I'm sorry, Corporal. I'm glad you like the model, my lady. Well, shall we get along, Lady Venetia? Thank you, Commander. The other barracks, my lady, are... They gave me the creeps when I saw the way you looked at her. For a moment, I thought she knew you. No. I've never met her before. She's beautiful, isn't she? So it isn't corporal anymore. It's sergeant from now on. Sergeant Victor. Thank you, sir. Now, you know Arabic, Sergeant? Yes, sir, some. Good. I have an assignment for you. Important. Go down to the Arab horse market. Some new traders have just come in from the desert. And keep your eyes open. For what, sir? For any talk of Sidi Ben Yusuf. Any hint that he's collecting his tribes. Very good, sir. Oh, and, uh, Sergeant. Yes, sir. You may see an English captain down there. One of the party of visitors. <laughs> He'll be buying horses. <laughs> see that he isn't cheated. Huh? I'll do my best. Go along now. 
Same horse four times. Those so errors are shrewd traders, Rick. Shrewd, sir. They're downright thieves. That girl over there, you know, cigarette. She seems to be helping him to buy. Not helping him, Rick. I could say she's helping the Arabs to sell. Come on. This tree and this black one here. No? Oh, the grey one. I think I like him better. Good afternoon, sir. Hey. Oh, good afternoon. Buying horses, sir? Yes. What do you want here, Sergeant Cabillard? Oh, just looking on. Dick here, cigarettes says the black's a finer horse than the grey. Do you agree, Sergeant? Since you ask my opinion, sir, I would take the grey. The black is a bit weak in the foreleg. And what would a legionnaire know about horses? You take my word, Mon Captain. I know. There's one way to prove the black is best. I will ride him, and the other boys shall ride the grey. We will race. Good idea. Excellent. That'll show. It is a good idea, sir. But with your permission, I'll ride the grey. You see, the Arab boy might be inclined to think that someone wants you to buy the black. Oh, I see. Yes, splendid, Sergeant. Splendid. Look here, my dear. You don't mind if the sergeant rides against you, do you? No. It will be a pleasure to beat him. Well, forget that. Look here, I see you too. You know, you ought to have a bet on this. Let's say uh, a bottle of wine to a kid. What? As the lady likes, sir. Oui, I bet. Even though it would kill me to pay. It's all right, mademoiselle. If you don't care to pay, it will be the horse who will win. We could compromise and allow you to kiss him. Oh, oh you, you, you. I pay no one. Hey, look out, she's riding off. You've made a jolly angry, Sergeant. Cigarette. I didn't mean to. Come back. After it, Sergeant. Cigarette, wait. There he goes. A nice pretty catch up. He will, that, sir. Look at him. Going right out into that desk. Are you all right? Can you sit up? Cigarette, look at me. You, you fool. Why don't you leave horses alone if you can ride? Do you want to kill me? Do you want to break my neck? No, I couldn't break that lovely little neck. Oh, I, I hate you. I'm terribly sorry if I was rude. Sorry? Yes, really. I didn't mean to offend you. No? <laughs> the first time you come to my cafe, you insult me. And the next time you see me, you tell me to kiss a horse. <laughs> You know, after all, you did say it would kill you to pay the bet. Hmm. Uh, are you really sorry? I am indeed. And you have forgiven me? Mm-hmm. Would it have killed you if I had paid my bet? I should say not. <laughs> then, here. You like that? You like no? it? Who wouldn't? I'm sorry we didn't bet some more. <laughs> oh, but we did. Five, six, ten bits. And every time you won. Huh? <laughs> what are you thinking about? What? Huh? Oh, nothing much. Just watching the sunset. I have been watching it too. But I have been thinking. What about? Oh, about you. I did not know I could hate a man so much. And fall in love with him so quick. Oh, what a strange little creature you are, Cigarette. 
Now we've got to go. Come on. <laughs> it will be a long walk without the horses. Shall I carry you? Oh, no, no. This isn't the first time I walk in the desert. Many times I march with the Legion. Yes. You told me you were the master. <laughs> that night at the cafe? <laughs> Even though you did not look at me then, I knew that you liked me. And I like you too. And tonight you will come again. And I will fix a little table so nice for you in the alcove. Then I think we will bet some more. You will come, yes? My dear cigarette. That's an invitation no soldier could refuse. Before going on with our play, let us imagine for a moment that we're in a typical American home in which we meet three members of our unseen radio audience. First, you hear Joe's sister, Dorothy, who has come over tonight especially to listen to Under Two Flags with Nan and Joe. It's a swell show, isn't it? I wouldn't think of missing the Lux program, and I couldn't live without my luck. Oh, seems to me there's always something or other you can't live without. Now, there's a brother for you. I'm really very economical, Joe, darling. Yeah. But listen, Nan, I got four of the grandest dresses today. I'm going to be the best-dressed girl in town. Four? Oh, who dot you are getting extravagant? I'm not. Thanks to Lux Flakes. You see, dear, I can put more money into new clothes this year because Lux has been saving me so much money on cleaning bills and my things last so much longer now. They really need looking. Besides, it leaves dresses so clean and sweet. Are you going to Lux everything? Yes, ma'am. I'm not buying a thing that isn't Luxable. Then nothing but Lux Flakes will ever touch them. I'm too thrifty to risk ordinary soaps or rubbing with cake soap. Dorothy has found the way to dress well at very little cost. Nowadays, every store is full of Luxables that are knockouts for smartness. And they'll look as smart at the end of the season as they do right now if you stick to Lux. These gentle flakes are made to protect colors and fabrics. Remember, anything safe in water alone is safe in Lux. Back now to Mr. DeMille. Under Two Flags, starring Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Lupe Valles, and Lionel Atwell. It's later the same evening. Convinced that Sergeant Victor is in love with her, Cigarette sings happily as she prepares the private table in the cafe. But the sergeant has forgotten his promise. He's late even now. And Ivan, the legionnaire, amuses himself by poking fun at Cigarette. <laughs> so, it is the sergeant now, huh? <laughs> You're in love with him. In love? Oh, I hate him. Of course, of course. Maybe that's why you make up a nice table here, because you hate him. <laughs> he is not coming here. <laughs> you can be sure of that. <laughs> what do you mean? I know he's not coming. And you know why? What? Because there is a ball up in the English hotel. He's gone up there. Ah! <laughs> oh, you're a fool, bad. Legionnaires are not permitted at the hotel. No. Oh, but he has gone there. I saw him. And I bet you he does not come here. All right. I bet you. Ah! <laughs> so you were expecting him. <laughs> Down there with the old Arabs buying horses. I've heard they're 
not assured, Captain. Well, of course, I had to watch my step, I did. Excuse me, sir. Oh. Uh, what is it, Sergeant? Important dispatches just arrived, sir. From Egypt? Quite possibly, sir. Sure, I must go. You coming, Lady Venetia? No, I'll wait. Don't be long, Captain. No, I won't. And thanks, Sergeant. So, a Sergeant now. Yes, my lady. Was there any such important message? There might have been, but I didn't bring it. It's very dangerous for you to be here under false pretenses. It is indeed. Twice dangerous. Twice? A firing squad on one side. Your eyes on the other. You're a daring man, Sergeant. I had to come to bring you this. Oh, the model of the horse. You were kind enough to admire it. Will you accept it from me as a gift? Thank you. I shall love it. Not only for itself, but because you risked so much to bring it. Do you know, this is the first exciting thing that's happened to me in all this monotonous country. Africa, monotonous? Well, look about you. Isn't it monotonous? But this isn't Africa. It's just a ball in a hotel in any part of the world. Africa's out there. In the Arab quarters, the Jewish bazaars, the cafes, the Kabyle dancers. Things I'm afraid I shall never see. Things you ought to see if you want to know Africa. I could take you, you know. Or perhaps adventure doesn't appeal to you. You're daring me, aren't you? Yes. You realize it's absurd, Im- impossible. Quite. And that's why I might do it? Of course. Oh, you oughtn't to tempt me. When can we go? Now. Now? How can we get out? Can you climb? I used to climb apple trees. Then come on. The balcony shouldn't present any difficulties. <laughs> Cinderella has to go home. We'd better say goodnight out here. Thank you for showing me Africa. It's been thrilling. You didn't think that was Africa, did you? But you said it was. Did I? No. The real Africa's out there in the desert. The Maibu oasis at full moon. Maibu. It sounds enchanting. And only three miles out. Are you tempting me again? Yes. Are you tempted? Dreadfully. But of course it's impossible. Oh, quite impossible. I'm afraid so. Unless... Unless? Will there be a full moon tomorrow night? I shall see to it personally. (laughs) Good night, Sergeant Victor. Good night, my lady. Oh, you came out here after all. Didn't you know I would? And after you ordered the moon especially for me? There it is. Shall we sit down? You were going to show me the rest of Africa. It's all around you, my lady. The desert, the oasis, these ruins here. How silent, how grave, and how incredibly old it all is. Yes. That's Africa. This place must have a story. A thousand stories. Shall I tell you one of them? I'd much rather hear another. Your own. My story is much too long, much too dull to tell you. Not dull, I'm sure. No, perhaps not dull. And it hasn't seemed long. Till now. After this, it'll be endless. After this? Being with you. Feeling the nearness of you. 
You'll never know what it's meant to me. Oh, please, you mustn't talk this way. Do I frighten you? No, but... You see, it's, it's, it's the old trick. I'm just playing on your sympathy. Oh, you had that from the first moment I saw you. You don't belong here. You're miserable here, aren't you? I was. I'm not anymore. You mean that... That I... Uh... Yes. You've changed everything for me. Venetia. Oh, don't say anymore. I... I must go back now. Do you want to go back? No. That's why I must. What's the matter? How do I know, Almighty Commandant? Fall in, you men. Fall in. It's an attack. I heard the Commandant say so. Did he even use his tribe? They have attacked by Insufra. Commandant. Men, we just received marching orders. Insufra has been attacked. We're ready to move in an hour. Full packs. That's all. Captain! Sergeant Victor! Sergeant Victor! What is it, Rick? Sir, I've been looking for you. I've just seen Lord Seraph. Lord Seraph? Yes, sir. He's just arrived, sir. Gone up to the hoteliers. He mustn't see me. Oh, he'd know you, sir. He'd recognize you, sure. And, sir, remember that lady who came to the barracks that day? Lady Venetia? Yes. She's his niece, sir. His niece? Rake, you've got to pack for me. But we're marching an hour, sir. I can't help that. I gave the carving of Forest King to Lady Venetia. It has the name carved on it. I've got to get it back. Oh, he'd know Forest King, sir. Bring my kit. I'll meet you at the parade ground. Yeah, I'll meet you there. Meet you now. Okay. Victor! Victor! Wait! Oh. Oh, hello, cigarette. Oh, Victor. Where have you been? Two nights I waited for you. And you did not come. Why? I'm sorry, Cigarette, but I couldn't. Was it the Commandant's orders? He gave you some special duty? No, no, I was detained. Oh. Forgive me, Cigarette, but I must go now. You would leave me and not even say goodbye? No. I was coming to say goodbye before I left. Believe me. Goodbye? Is that, is that all you were going to say to me? Please. You must forgive me. I've got to go. Victor. Venetia. I, I climbed the balcony. I hope no one saw me. Oh, thank heaven you've come. If you hadn't, I should have gone to you. I couldn't let you go without seeing you. Venetia. There's something I've got. I'm going to ask you. They're going to feel very odd of me, but really it's important. It's the model of the horse. I've come to ask you to give it back to me. But why? It's mine. I love it. I, I can't explain, but I must have it. Will you give it to me, please? Well, of course I will. It's in the other room. But you must let me have it again when you come back. But you won't be here when I return. You'll be in England. No. I shall be here, Victor. I can't leave you, ever. But, Venetia... Oh, no, don't speak. I've thought it all out. I know nothing of you except yourself, but that's all I need to know. Venetia, dear, do you realize what you're saying? It's madness. Oh, no, when two people love each other like this in part, that's madness. And you won't always be a legionnaire. Someday your service will end. It will never end. I can never go back to England. I'll only be exchanging my service here for a prison cell. I don't believe it. 
You're trying to frighten me because you think it's hopeless. But it isn't hopeless. I won't let it be. You can't forget me, Victor. Can you? No. You want me to wait? Want you? Then I will. Who's that? Don't go. It's only my uncle. No, no. I can't see him. I shall be here when you come back. I love you, Victor. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Venetia. Cigarette. Cigarette, where are you? Yes. Yes, Commander. Look, my darling. You see this? It's my new commission. I've got it, cigarettes. I'm a colonel. A colonel? Don't you see? This is the thing we waited for, planned for. Cigarette. Cigarette. Oh, you're crying. What is it? Darling, tell me, what is it? I cried because... Because you, you go away. Maybe you, you never come back. You lie. It's that sergeant. You've been different to me since the first time you laid eyes on him. Not a decent kiss have I had since that day. It is not true. I hate him. You're lying to me. You're lying to me. Aren't you? Aren't you? Yes, I am lying. It is the sergeant. You're crying for him. I warned you one cigarette. That I'd never let another man take my place. No man ever shall. What? What do you mean? I warned you, cigarette. Sergeant Victor, I've got a little special detail work for you. Very good, sir. You'll pick up 20 men. Cut across the desert, you north towards Iron Safra. Hold a position 15 kilometers this side of the fort. Excuse me, sir, I don't quite understand. You said 20 men, you north across the desert? Well, that's right through the heart of the Arab forces, sir. I know that. We'll never make it, sir. You have your orders. But with only 20 men, you have your orders. Certain death for all of us. I suppose you know that. Death is part of every soldier's equipment, Sergeant Victor. Pick your men and leave at once. If you don't mind, sir, I'd like to ask for volunteers. Do what you want. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. We pause for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. KMX Los Angeles, the voice of Hollywood. Before we resume under two flags, I am privileged to introduce a soldier who served under three national banners, the Belgian, French, and Polish. He spent seven years in the French Foreign Legion, campaigning in Algeria, Morocco, Indochina, and the Sahara, rising to the rank of sergeant. In the World War, he became a lieutenant, was severely wounded, underwent 23 operations, and received several decorations, including knighthood in the French Legion of Honor. In recent years, he's been a military technical advisor in Hollywood. He worked for me on the Crusades. 
and most recently on Paul Muni's picture, The Life of Emil Zola. Ladies and gentlemen, a true soldier of fortune, Lieutenant Louis Vandenecker. My thanks, Mr. DeMille. I suppose a lot of people are wondering what crime I committed to have joined the Legion. If I disappoint you, I'm sorry. But the law and I have never had any arguments. Men join the Legion for one reason. Adventure. Criminals are not found in the ranks. And if one of them manages to join, he is soon arrested by civil authorities. It is my impression that they ask no questions when you join the Legion. Uh, that's true. But that does not keep uh, criminals from... Uh, from uh, that does not keep uh, police from uh, chasing criminals. Uh, well, what, what are the qualifications then for enlistment? Only two. You have to be of age and in excellent health. In our play, Van, we mention Ayn Sufra and Saida. Do those towns mean anything to you? A great deal. I served many months at both places. In fact, at Ayn Sufra, there is a bottle embedded in the wall of one of the buildings. In it is a slip of paper with my name and the date. Just a souvenir I left behind. As one who encountered the Arabs many times, what's your opinion of them as fighters? Very high. Arabs have no fear. I believe that if they die fighting, they will go to paradise with many pretty girls. We had our hands full many times, and I've been just as scared as anyone could be. When marching, the legionnaires are always in square formation, ready for instant trouble. And at, at night, they pitch their camps in square formation too. They are neighbor without their rifles or their picks and shovels. Now they're overcoats, judging from what I've seen. Why overcoats in the desert? Because the coat acts on the same order as the thermos bottle. It keeps the heat out. Well, after seven years in their ranks, then, what's your most vivid memory of the Legion? Their wonderful spirit of comradeship. They will not only risk their lives to save a wounded comrade, but there is case after case of as many as six men going to their death trying to recover the body of a dead comrade, rather than let it fall in the, hand, in the enemy's hands. In the Legion are men of every race, color and religion under the sun. Men of every profession, living together, fighting together as brothers. If the world wants an example of brotherhood to follow, let the world look to the French Foreign Legion. Thank you, soldier. <laughs> Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Lupi Velez, and Lionel Atwell take up our story, Under Two Flags. <laughs> has passed. The fighting has broken out at Ayn Sufra, but no word has come from Sergeant Victor and his 20 men, doomed to perish trying to hold a hopeless position. In her room at the hotel in Saida, Lady Venetia turns toward the door as her uncle, Lord Seraph, enters. Venetia? Yes, Uncle Harry? I say, Venetia, where in heaven's name did you get this? This model of the horse here. Oh, it's... It was given to me, Uncle Harry. But when? A little over a week ago. Curious. Very curious indeed. It must be an old carving. Well, I'm sure it isn't old. As a matter of fact, I know it's new. But that's impossible. Don't you see? It's Forrest King, Tony Brett's old horse. It has the name carved on the back. Tony Brett? Who's Tony Brett? Don't you remember the scandal? Tony Brett's younger brother committed a crime, and Tony shouldered the blame himself. Last summer, Tony's brother was injured. And just before he died, he made a full confession absolving Tony. And where is Tony Brett now? Why, he's dead, I believe. The man that carved that horse and gave it to me is a legionnaire. An Englishman and a gentleman. He must be Tony Brett. Impossible. But wait a minute. 
As a matter of fact, none of us ever saw Tony's remains. I can't tell you how I know, but I have a feeling I'm sure that Sergeant Victor is Tony Brett. Isn't it said that the Legion is full of dead men? Where is this man? I'd know Tony anywhere. He's gone, marched away with Colonel Doyle's battalion. Can't we get him back? I'll do what I can. You... You want him to come back very much. Don't you, my dear? I do. So much. I beg your pardon, Lady Tanisha. Yes, Paul? You ask to be informed of any wounded return. Yes. There's a train of ambulances who just arrived, my lady. Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Easy there. Handle him easy. Oh, Phil. Phil. You're hurt back, huh? Uh, see, it's good to see you. Oh. Here, water. What, my Pharaoh? Excuse me. Is there anything I can do? Oh, you. I'd like to help if I could. You're here to look for Sergeant Victor. You need not look any longer. He, he's not coming back. What do you mean? You know something, mademoiselle? Yes, I do know. The commandant has sent him to a post of death. Sergeant Victor will stay there until he dies. Is, is this true? Yes, it is true. I know from the wounded. Now you can go back to your own country. You will never see him again. Why? Why do you tell me this? Because I love him as you could never love him. He does not belong with your kind. He's of the Legion and they're my kind. Would you follow them into the desert as I have done? Would you march with them and nurse them and close their eyes when they are dead? I have shot them. Do you hear? So that the Arabs could not take him alive. Could you do that? No. Oh, you poor child, you do love him. Yes, I... I love him. And I could save him, too. You could save him? How? In a way you could not understand. But why should I save him? Huh? For you? But you said that you love him. If you really love him, can you let him die? Can you? Go back to your hotel. Go back to your soft life. Easy ways. What are you going to do, mademoiselle? I'm going to the commandant. Arain Sudra. I'm going to save Sergeant Victor. For you. Yeah, man. There's not much water. Go easy on it. Sergeant, how long are we going to be here? How long do we have to wait for help in this filthy hole? Easy, Baron. I can't stand it much longer, I tell you. I can't stand it. Quiet. They're out there, waiting for us. Waiting for us to show ourselves. Waiting for us to go mad. Shut up. That's all I had to do, that, Baron. There were only eight men here. Eight out of twenty. We'll need our wits to get out of this. It's this blasted silence that's got me. The Arabs are out there all right. Why don't they attack? They're all ten feet high between us and a thousand Arabs. They could give us proof like that. Let them wait. The longer they wait, the more chance for the relief to come. Sure, if it ever does. We were put out here to hold this position. We're going to do it. We can't if they attack us. They'll swarm over us like flies. Quiet, I tell you. He's right, sir. We'd never hold out against another attack. We're too few. It's time we're working against now. Anything might happen if we had time. Time. I might be able to get some. Until dawn, anyway. How, sir? If I could borrow the robes from one of those dead Arabs outside, I might be able to sneak into Sidi Ben Yusuf's camp. What? Pay the sheikh a little visit. You're mad, sir. Why, they'll call me the ribbon, Mr. Fool. We'll do that anyway, Rake. I'm not too particular about where I die. And it's worth a chance. Mm-hmm. 
guide, Benyerson. What is it? One of our horsemen guide. He would talk with you. Send him to me. Well? Good evening, Sidi Benyerson. An Englishman. How did you get here? It's a pleasure to renew an old acquaintance. Old acquaintance? I don't seem to recall your face. Oxford. You were at Balliol. I was at Trinity. You haven't forgotten those afternoons at Professor York's? Oh. <laughs> Dear old Professor York. Oh, how well I remember. This is amazing. Old classmates meeting here in the heart of the desert as enemies. Why have you paid me this most unusual visit? To save my life. And possibly save yours. Really? A wise man is he who makes peace in time. Peace? Recently, a British commissioner arrived in Sidon. As your spies, no doubt, have already advised you. Does that affect me, my friend? I make war on the French. You know best, of course. But if you are caught here, with the British troops behind you, it'll be a little awkward, won't it? British troops in French territory? That is utterly impossible. Mm, the secret was well kept. <laughs> are you naive enough to think that I believe you? You have scouts, I suppose? Send them out. Learn for yourself. Well, I shall send them. If what you have told me is true... I shall be indebted to you for the rest of my life. If not, you will die, my friend. In a few hours, we shall know. A few hours? By dawn. Dawn. Thank you. Good morning, my friend. I trust you slept well. Excellently, thank you. And that you enjoyed your morning meal? I found it a delightful relief from hard tack. I am very glad, since it will be your last. Really? You lied to me. I've had scouts out all night. There are no British within 500 miles, and you knew it. Quite. And I was quite surprised that you believed me at all. And now it's my turn to amuse myself with you. Uh-huh. I'm curious. What do you intend to do with me? Remember the old soccer games? We are going to play it now. With horses. You will be the ball. It should be very amusing, Sheikh. For me, yes. But for you, I have to be careful. What's that? Hayyad, Hayyad, the Legion, the Legion, four squadrons, they ride from the north. So, this is what you waited for, my friend. The relief, Sidi Ben Yusuf. We hope they might be here at dawn. And so they are. It's a pity you won't be there to greet them. I shall try my best. Stop him. Stop that man.
And under two flags comes a promise from our stars to return to us before this hour is over. Standing beside me now is a woman known to theater goers for many years. First as a dancer, then as producer of the, mo- of the famous uh, Fanchon and Marco stage shows. From among her performers have risen such stars as Myrna Loy, Janet Gaynor, Lita Roberti, Merth- Martha Ray, and Mary Lewis. Her career reached a new high a few days ago when Paramount released Turn Off the Moon with Eleanor Whitney, Johnny Downs, and Charles Ruggles. It was produced by our guest and goes down in picture history as the first film ever produced by a woman at a major studio. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Fanchon. For many years, ladies and gentlemen, the two names, Cecil B. DeMille and Lux, have meant a great deal to me. In fact, Mr. DeMille gave me my first chance to direct dances and pictures. Miss <laughs> Fanchon staged the candy ball for me in a film called The Golden Bed back in 1925. But she didn't continue in pictures very long. Didn't you like them, or didn't you like the mill? I assure you that it was only the pictures. Today, however, with the best in stories, actors, and photography, and with men like you still at the helm, I'm sure there's no medium of entertainment like the screen. And you also mentioned Lux a moment ago. I can't say too many nice things about Lux Flakes. Do you mean uh, you can think of something that your former orchestra leader, Melville Ruick, hasn't already said? Well, I can say that at one time, Marco and I had as many as a thousand girls performing throughout the country in our stage shows. And do you know, Mr. DeMille, that a part of the equipment of each of those girls was a box of Lux Flakes? It's by far the best way of keeping costumes beautifully fresh, and it's especially good for silk stockings. 
I've used Lux countless times myself when Marco and I were starting out. It was more important to me to keep my costumes looking right than it was to eat. When it came to deciding between a hamburger and a box of Lux, my stomach was usually the loser. That's what I think about Lux. As the first woman to produce a major studio picture, what do you think makes a good film? Well, I hope to show that in my next two pictures, Summer Romance and Argentine Love. I believe in youthful romance and comedy, music, and dancing. In other words, an entertaining, light, happy production. I found out that about 99% out of 100 people that step up to that box office to buy a ticket do so because they want to be amused. I'm going to try to satisfy them. Edu- education has some place on the screen, too. Yes, but a cheerful story can educate just as much as preaching. Such a story teaches everyday practical things like what's new in clothes, in dances, and an appreciation of good music. It teaches good manners, how to talk honestly, and how to live honestly. Lots of people turn to pictures as an escape from ordinary and very often sordid circumstances. They need hope and a little cheering up, a little laugh. And that's what I'm going to remember as long as I'm producing pictures. And now, Mr. DeMille, and all of you, my thanks. A moment now with the evening stars. Herbert Marshall, Olivia de Havilland, Rupi Velez, and Lionel Atwell. Again, my gratitude, C.B., for inviting me back to the Lux Radio Theater. And mine, too. Well, I have an opportunity, a word of appreciation to Louis van den Ecker for his splendid account of the French Legion. Yes, it interests me particularly, Lionel, because in our research in my, for my next picture, The Buccaneer, I discovered that one of the Legion's greatest battles was fought in Mexico. I can tell you about that. Oh, please do tell us, Louis. Well, Olivia, it took place in 1863 near Veracruz at the time when Napoleon had made Maximilian Emperor of Mexico. Only seven French soldiers survived, but the Mexicans admired the courage of the legionnaires so much that they allowed the seven men to leave the battlefield with a rifle. But perhaps it inspired Louise de la Ramée as she wrote the book Under Two Flags not long afterwards. Yes, and it may surprise you to know that she wasn't French but English. But why did she use the pen name of Ouida? Because as a child, that was the way she pronounced Louise. Oh. She was a strange personality. Took particular delight in insulting everyone. Lived on a lavish scale for years and died almost penniless in Italy. That should teach us all to save our money, like I do. <laughs> I wish you'd tell us how you do it, Luffy. Oh, it's easy and lots of fun, too. I cook all the meals. I paint the garden, the garden furniture and the swimming pool for Johnny. You know, it's my husband, Johnny Weissmiller. <laughs> and I don't let anybody put anything over me. I'm Mexican, all right, but somewhere I think maybe there was a Scotchman. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm pretty good now, Mr. Excellent. Well, C.B., the clock moves around. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you have an important announcement to make a little later. So we'll join the audience and say our adieu in a little verse from Tuba. You may remember it. It starts, a little work, a little play. To keep us going, and so good day. A little warmth, a little light. Of love bestowing, and so good night. A little trust that when we die, we reap our sowing. And so goodbye. Mr. Marshall, Mr. Haviland, Miss Bellows, Miss Rattle, our thanks. The dramatic treat in store for us next Monday night will be revealed in just a moment by Mr. DeMille. This is your announcer, ladies and gentlemen, Melville Ruick. Assisting our stars tonight were Lionel Pate as Captain Mingus, Kenneth Hunter as Lord Seraph, Leonard Mudie as Rake, Michael Bisseroff as Ivan, Laoshan Mera as Sidi Ben Yusuf, James Eagles as Keskadi, Lou Merrill as Pierre, 
Frank Nelson as Ferron, David Kerman as officer, Warren McCullum as Grivon, Ross Forrester as Ferrol, Harold Daniels as adjutant, and Charles Emerson as a doctor. Mr. Marshall appeared through courtesy of Paramount and RKO Studios. Mr. Haviland, Warner Brothers. Mr. DeMille, Paramount. Lionel Atwell and Louis Silver's 20th Century Fox, where the latter was in charge of music for the new film, Cafe Metropole. May I remind you now that next week will be National Cotton Week. All over the country, leading stores are featuring smart cottons attractively priced. Stop at your favorite store to see these exciting new clothes. A multitude of glamorous luxables to choose from. Smart stores everywhere are recommending the easy lux way which banishes wardrobe worry. Back now to Mr. DeMille. A year ago at this time, I was up to my boot tops in preparation for my 63rd picture. In the marching panorama of events from 1865 to 1875, I hope to show the character of a group of great Americans, their mighty courage, and resounding struggles to open the western frontier to civilization. The picture is the Plainsman, and it makes me happy to announce that next Monday night, the Plainsman comes to you for the first time on the air in the Lux Radio Theater. Heard in the roles of Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane will be the stars who contributed so much to the success of the picture, Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Flakes, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur in The Plainsman. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that was Under Two Flags from 1937, starring Herbert Marshall, Lionel Atwill, and Olivia de Havilland. As I said earlier, you can also see the movie version on the Shot and Shield YouTube channel. Uh, it's under uh, The movie version is under the Shot and Shield Presents playlist. So there you go. However, our time thus has come to an end. And I'd like to give a special thanks to everybody who emailed in for this episode and for my partner in crime today, the best-dressed man in her hobby, Wargaming's very own Bon Vivant, Claude Bailey, for joining me to help me, uh, you know, to help reinforce the Duke. With that said, you've been listening in Brisbane, Australia, Auckland, New Zealand, and White Plains, New York. This is the Shot and Shield Supercast, a podcast dedicated to 19th century wargaming and history, a program meant to be heard while you're painting your miniatures and building your terrain. I am your host, the Grand Duke Scott of the Duchy of Florida, and I'm out.